Welcome back to the 411 Podcasting Network. I'm your host, Larry Zonka, and this is episode 95 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the411mania.com website, any major podcasting platform out there. Please make sure to subscribe to our show, share us around on social media, hit the thumbs up and subscribe on YouTube, we would greatly appreciate it. And before we get into things, I want to thank everybody for another great month of downloads. You guys have been spectacular. I uh, I always try to thank you as often as possible. I know we've had a lot of changes here recently, a lot of uh, guest hosts popping on and just trying to mix things up following uh, Jeremy leaving the show. And um, it's uh, it's been greatly appreciated. You guys have responded really well and uh, we love you very much. And uh, here's two more successful months as we close in on episode 100. Joining me tonight to review WWE Super Showdown 2020 and AEW Revolution 2020, a uh, man who was on last week, Mark Radulich. Mark, how are you? Hey, Larry. Thanks for having me back. No problem, man. Good to have you back. Good to be a good time. Yes, sir. As we said uh, offline, boy, is this going to be a podcast of a tale of two different shows. It very much was, and it's a... Uh... It's it's one of those things, man. It's uh, what are you gonna do? Is you know, we didn't design the shows. It's just the way they fell. So uh, it was a funny thing. I don't know why so much thought of this. Part of it was I was listening to Dan Patrick's show the other day, and then John Moxley's post match speech about drinking. <laughs> Mark, we're we're roughly the same age. How are you? How old are you again? I will be forty four in June. Okay, I just turned forty three. So my question to you is not. Like your dad gave you a beer or your uncle slipped you a drink at a wedding. What was your first rogue illegal alcoholic beverage you had? Like at what age? I was probably 16, 15, 16 years old. Me and Lou robbed my dad's liquor cabinet uh, when we cut class at school. Fair enough. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah it's uh, It's like I had like snuck the liquor cabinet here and there. But uh, the, the first big illegal one is uh, I did like drum and bugle corps back in the day. And we were away for a weekend at a drum corps championship finals over the weekend. And it was me and four of my high school friends who were in this uh, senior drum corps. So it was all adults and us. And so we get there. And of course, everybody's partying when we don't have to practice and everything. So we're like, we need to get beer. And we're fucking poor, though. And to, to frame this, this is back in like... 92-ish, I'm like 15, 16. Our first beer experience, and don't ask me why I ever drank beer after this, <laughs> was two $6 cases of a beverage called, and those of you who know it will gag when you hear it, Meisterbrow. <laughs> this shit was the foulest fucking beer. But There's no we, way anyone's going to card you when you buy Meisterbrow because the taste itself is punishment enough. But um, we sat there and we got these two cases of beer. We thought we were fucking kings. We <laughs> filled up the tub with fucking ice cubes. We chilled the beer. We crushed the beer. And then they let us into like the main party where they had like the real alcohol. Mm -hmm. And then they also gave us a box of what we thought were cigars and they were not cigars. Ooh. Uh this story ends with us stealing an Elby's big boy and it ending up in the swimming pool at the hotel. Well done, sir. So, you know, breaking laws at age 16. So there you go. Like I said, I was, I was listening to the Dan Patrick show and they were talking about like the first time you had a beer that wasn't like given to you by a family member or something. 
And then Moxley was talking about his beer clock and he was going to knock back whiskeys. And I was like, I was like, yeah, I was like thinking back on that. And I'm like, Christ, I'm like, I got really kind of fucked up that first time. <laughs> let me, uh, let me say this about Moxley's post-match promo. I know we're, we'll come back around to it when we do the full review, but I keep somewhat sarcastically referring to John Moxley. And I say this with great love and affection. I'm a huge fan. I go where he goes, as I said, on your last podcast. But he is like millennial Steve Austin. And tonight tonight just drove that home for me. When he's in the ring talking about it's beer o'clock, and then he's like, all right, I'm down in a bottle of whiskey. It's like, oh, sir, please drive a beer truck or something to the ring. We need this to happen. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, it's funny. People were joking about, like, you compare the pa- – we're going to talk about it, but just uh, comparatively, the passion in his promo compared to the – Droning on, he had to do in his 13, I'm leaving WWE promos. You know? Uh, Yeah. You know, it's funny. I've been off and on critical of AEW from all the way going before it was AEW, when it was, uh, they did the all-in show. And as I said before, I want the product to succeed. I'm, you know, critical because I want it to be better. And what I, uh, what I've... What I've said all along, and sometimes this is negative, and sometimes, like, and tonight it was a positive, you can see that AEW is at least in part made up of a guys that just wanted the freedom to be creative and to not be strapped in the bridle that is WWE. And in many cases it works. In many cases they need some editing and some adult supervision. But watching Jericho and Moxley tonight and then Moxley's post-fight uh, interview, you I mean, I, I, I thought about Ted Danson at the, in the season, series finale of Cheers. I'm fucking old, ladies and gentlemen. Just stay with me. Um, where he's looking around the bar and he says, I'm the luckiest man in the world. That was John Moxley tonight. Just that ability to stand there and be creative and not have anyone holding him back and overproducing him. There's no old man in a, in a crusty throne telling him it's good shit, pal, when he gives him horse manure. Uh, you know, it was just it's I'm happy to see Jericho and him and Cody having a passion for the business and not being dead eyed. And that's what makes me love AEW even when it's not so great. And here's the thing, too. I mean, obviously, there have been times where it's been very fair to be critical of AEW. I mean, you know, Jeremy and I early on, just the stuff with the women's division, the fucking nightmare collective thing that they thankfully (laughs) dropped. I mean, there has been been fair targets, you know? And it's just Mm -hmm. part of the job when you're going to review a show like that. And, yeah, it's far from perfect. Tonight's pay-per-view, greatly enjoyable, and we're going to get to it. Not a perfect show by any means. They're not a perfect company, and I have reasons why I thought so. And we'll talk about that later, but let's go ahead and get down to WWE Super Showdown 2020 Mark, live from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Speaking of drinking. (laughs) The uh, show started off on the pre-show, which saw the Good Brothers defeating the Viking Raiders in 10 minutes. Mark, did you see this, and what did you think of it? Uh, when I did not watch this live, so I didn't see, uh, I didn't see this, unfortunately. Sorry. Um, I, I watched it, uh, Thursday, part of it Thursday night when I got home and it started with the Twake trophy bit. 
All right, no problem. Well, you didn't miss much. It was a 10-minute match. It was perfectly solid but somewhat flat uh, opening match. And, uh, man, the worst part is, is, like, the Viking Raiders are so fucking good. As I said, weren't the War Raiders in Ring of Honor? And, yes. like, they were amazing. And they I were great I... in NXT, too. And it's just, like, yeah. they're on the main roster, and they're just not put in a good position to deliver. I like Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows, but I mean, if we're being honest, they're not a great tag team. Trust me, I saw enough of them in New Japan to know that. They had times where they could step up and be good, but they're, they've never been great. And it's just, it was it was a very pre-show match with not a lot of life to it. So that was unfortunate. And the Viking Raiders take another loss because apparently the Good Brothers will always beat them in Saudi Arabia. I saw the Viking Raiders live at the NXT show in New York City the weekend of WrestleMania last year. And I remember how much joy they brought that audience. I mean, that whole show was spectacular. But, like, from soup to nuts, uh, and, and, and the, the Viking Raiders specifically, because I think that was their goodbye show uh, before they got elevated to the main roster and had their name <laughs> just <laughs> beaten to death and strangled. And, oh, boy, those poor bastards. But yeah, I remember how great the Viking Raiders were uh, in New York and how great that match was. It's like they get to the main roster and not just them, but so many of these uh, guys and gals, they come from NXT and they get to the main roster and it's like, well, here's what you're going to do. It's like, all right, I'm being paid a lot to, to do this. You're the boss, I suppose. But yeah, they just neuter these guys and it's like, Ugh, there's so much potential there. Yeah, and it's, it's really sad to see. And the worst thing I see is, like, when I review Raw every Monday, like, they'll come on and have a match. And I read all this shit like, God, the Viking Raiders fucking suck. And it's just like, no, no, they really don't. <laughs> they fucking don't. On no level are they a bad team. It's just, they're not booked to their strengths, which is really surprising with, you know, Paul Heyman allegedly in charge of Raw, but... Again, how much in charge is he? Because Vince always has the final call. Right. So, all right. So the main show started with the prestigious Tuake Mountain Trophy Gauntlet <laughs> match. And I'm not joking as I say that. They must have said the prestigious Tuake Mountain Trophy 800 times during this match. This match involved R-Truth, AJ Styles, Lashley, Andrade, Eric Rowan, and allegedly Rey Mysterio. <laughs> they played this match for laughs with R-Truth picking up a bunch of wins until we got to AJ Styles, which led to AJ Styles largely doing a dance routine before beating Truth. And then they shot backstage. The Good Brothers beat the absolute piss out of Rey Mysterio. And I'll tell you what, man, I hope that was a pre-tape or he better got paid well for fucking flying over there to get an ass beaten backstage. <laughs> I mean, I'm not joking. So... AJ claims that he's the best, he can beat anybody, and he has the referee start counting so he can win by count out. And then they shoot backstage. The Good Brothers have had their asses beat. Taker's boot and trench coat walks into the frame. His big dong hits, and he heads to the ring. It takes him approximately 38 minutes to head to the ring. It's a long ramp, he's old. And then The Undertaker came to the ring. AJ Styles talked some shit to him. Undertaker choke slammed him and pinned him and won a match he wasn't even in. (laughs) 
after 32 minutes and 40 seconds. So what we had here was a match played for shits and giggles, like all of these bullshit Saudi special matches. The Undertaker Shane McManning his way to this prestigious Twig Mountain Trophy. <laughs> and on one hand, yes, it's going to get us to AJ Styles and The Undertaker, I guess. But why the fuck do I want to see AJ Styles and The Undertaker when Undertaker just beat him in 10 seconds? And You're so, not- like, real quick, they, they killed another Saudi special match because it was all bullshit. It was the easiest payday of Ray and Taker's careers. But this was fucking horrible. Okay, I, <laughs> I'm i going to take the role here of groveling WWE apologist, <laughs> and I'm going to defend this match a bit, and this, this is going to happen a few times during this, because you're not, and you're not wrong. I think from purely objective, let's look at the wrestling, let's look at the presentation uh, aspect of this match, it's a lot of hot garbage, I'm not going to lie. However... Here's some positives, okay? So that people listening to this will be like, wow, like I don't want to hear him trash, you know, just trash everything left and right. I'm going to say something positive here. Uh, I was watching the crowd during R-Truth, who, by the way, I don't know when about this started, but R-Truth either needs to, like, like in, get, get on an inhaler or something before he comes out or, like, pace himself because he sounds a little breathy when he's rapping these days. Like, he can't, like he can't get a good breath and rap and move at the same time. Okay, for, first of all, I mean, give truth a break. Brother's, like, 50 years old, and that was, like, a 900-yard ramp. <laughs> I, I, like, I'm not holding that against him. I, and this isn't the first time I've seen that. He, whenever he gets to do the full song, um, But, look, I was starting, I was trying to be positive. So, I was watching the crowd when he came out. First of all, Truth looked like he was having a grand old time. Couldn't, couldn't be happier to be out there entertaining people, which is nice to see. And when they panned around and they showed what I'm sure were selected shots <clears throat> of the Saudi crowd, nothing but smiling and happy kids. Well, our Truth is awesome. That's why. Exactly. And I don't know if you got to hear us review Sonic the Hedgehog, but there's something about being in an auditorium full of children who couldn't be happier and how infectious that can be and how you know it can make you happy, too, if you're open to it. So I was watching that. I was watching the crowd have a good time. Terrific. Him and Bobby Lashley had something that approximated a match. And, 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 I just, and I'm going to ask you, Larry, because you're, you're, you're the wrestling expert here. Can you explain to me how they spent 900 years pushing Bobby Lashley and his feud against Rusev and, uh, and Lana and her excellent acting ability? To then have him get pinned by R-Truth in this match. Could, what, what are we doing with Bobby Lashley? Can you explain that to me? They have no clue. The, the worst thing about this is Bobby Lashley was coming off of a really good run in Impact. He had a lot of really good to great matches with a lot of guys. Seemed to have everything really turned around. He gets signed by WWE. and It's like, okay, here's your chance now to finally do Lashley and Brock. Because, I'm I mean, sure. you can make fun of Lashley's MMA record and say he didn't face a lot of great guys or whatever. The man has a good MMA record. They play off of Brock's UFC shit all the time. It was a natural match to make. Paul Heyman could have hyped it really well. And it didn't have to be anything special. You could have headlined a B pay-per-view with it. But, I mean, it would have made a ton of sense. Instead, Lashley comes in. He... He flexes his ass, he hangs out with Leo Rush, he gets married to Lana, has bad matches with Rusev, and then this. 
it's so a complete waste. Yeah, I it's it's questionable to say the least. But getting past R Truth versus Lashley, I, I like what they did next because he accidentally beats Andrade when Andrade fucks up and knocks himself out. Which okay, that's a fun way to give R Truth, you know. A ride through this gauntlet match, and then Rowan gets himself disqualified because somebody looked at his pet, whatever the fuck it is, in the cage, and <laughs> and so now our truth has gone all the way. Through, he's gone as far as he's going to go in this gauntlet match, and people are having a grand old time, and that's the point is to have fun at these things. And so this was harmless. Um, the right guy beat our truth finally in AJ Styles, and you know here's the thing, and again this is going to be thematic throughout the night. These weren't a couple of these weren't so much matches as they were angles taking place in a wrestling ring. This was obviously an angle to start off the Undertaker AJ Styles build and to have some fun with the audience and get things going in a light and fun direction. Meh. I mean, don't get me wrong, dude. I like R Truth and I, I agree with what you're saying. People were having a good time and all, but and yeah, it was a big angle. I didn't need them to take 33 fucking minutes to get there. <laughs> For a guy to win a match he wasn't even in. You know, they say that the success of your streaming app is based on how many hours you sit watching it. They had a lot of time to fill. Unfortunately. Next up was the first title match of the evening. SmackDown Tag Team Championship match New Day versus Miz and Morrison. The Miz and John Morrison defeated the New Day 13 minutes via pin. I thought this one started a bit slow, but I thought it developed into a good match. And uh, the expected title change for me anyway, and in my opinion, this was the best wrestling match on the show. I enjoyed this tremendously. Yeah, this was fun. Uh, I thought the wrestling in it was pretty solid. I thought all four guys, at the level that uh, they are allowed to perform, rose to that level and maybe in some parts exceeded it. Uh, Like you, the title change was expected, but... Certainly appreciated. I, I like Miz and Morrison. I like them together, and I hope they do something. Oh, wait, they got beat on SmackDown the next night. Never mind. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know now what we're doing with the New Day, so it'll be interesting to see what happens next. Yeah, oh, well, they got that big Elimination Chamber tag match coming up, coming out of SmackDown with like five tag teams or six tag teams. So that's the uh, next direction. So we moved on to singles action. Uh, Angel Garza and Humberto Carrillo. Angel Garza defeating Humberto Carrillo 9-10 via pin. Mark, what did you think of this one? Honestly, I, I and I know what's going to come next, and this might surprise you, but this match bored me to tears. And I think it's because the guys involved are not particularly interesting to me. When the best part of all of the people involved in this match, including Andre, who wasn't in it, but is managed by Selena Vega, <laughs> is Selena Vega. <coughs> Her I don't mind seeing. Her I could I could watch yell promos for an hour. She's you know she's great, but Angel Garza, eh, meh, Umberto Carrillo, who they beat like a dog and given the occasional pity victory to. I'm sure the wrestling was competent. It bored me to tears. I don't blame you at all. I know a lot of people weren't a fan of this. I thought technically the work was pretty good. Not nearly as good as the stuff they've been doing on Raw's late. And the worst part about it was the the crowd did not care about these gentlemen one bit. Not a single bit. So, Raw tag team title match was up next. And that saw our champion Seth Rollins and uh, I'm not your buddy pal Murphy defeating the Street Profits 10, uh, 1050 via pin. Thought it was an overall good little match. But uh, 
It was also one of those matches, which is a trend for these shows that never got into that next gear that you know all four guys are capable of. Um, so a little disappointing in that regard because I know they can do a lot better. But it was good, and I kind of expected the champions to retain, so no real surprises. Again, I call it good, nothing special. One of the better things on the show, though, I thought. Yeah, I think this was in terms of pure wrestling quality. <laughs> um, I <coughs> I thought wrestling-wise, in terms of psychology, I thought this was the best match on the show. I really, really liked it. Um, I, I wish it had gone into that higher gear. I mean, we all saw Montez Ford fucking do a 90-yard leap onto a ladder, which was amazing in NXT. And, you know, and then for a while they were the Greek chorus in uh, on Raw where they just did these bad comedy bits and they weren't allowed to wrestle. Um, these guys are all capable of a lot more, but they're sort of hamstrung with, well, this is all you're allowed to do, so that's what you're going to do. And... Okay, um, I, I was entertained. The, the, I, I, this had a lot. There was a lot of dynamic interaction and spots in this that kept me interested. And as long, you know, as long as I get something, you know, my my expectations are so low with WWE wrestling that it's not hard to exceed them. And when they do, I'm happy. I don't ask for much more. That's fair, and I know a lot of people that thought this was the better match on the show, too, and I'm not going to argue. You can't go wrong, I think, with either tag match. They were, I thought they were clearly the two best matches on the show. Not that they were any great shakes, but they were good wrestling matches at the very least. So, uh, Do not disagree with anything you said. Up next was Captain Saudi Arabia Mansoor defeating uh, Dolph Ziggler 9 minutes and 20 seconds via pin. Mark, what did you think of this one? Hey, remember when Dolph Ziggler used to give a shit? Cause, cause I do. I remember when he was the bump machine. Remember those days, Larry? Cause Mansoor could could really use a veteran to to uh, shine him up and uh, smooth over those rough edges and really give him a wrestling education in there. And Dolph Ziggler, five years ago, maybe ten years ago, might have been that guy, but he certainly wasn't on this show. Mansoor tried his level best, and I, I I almost wish that maybe they would use him more on, like, NXT UK. Like, give him a run at Walter. Let Walter kill him. But, you know, but like give him a few wins. Get him in there with Dragunov and some some more of these guys. Get him working. Again, get, them, get him working out those rough edges. Because this was a little clunky, and that's more on, I think, Mansoor than Dolph Ziggler. But Dolph Ziggler works at the, as a who-gives-a-shit right now. And, you know, Mansoor needs a little bit of guidance. I, I, think that, I think Mansoor tried his level best here. It was okay, but it could have been so much better, and they could do a lot with Mansoor if anyone A tried or B gave a shit. Yeah, um, I, I largely agree but partially disagree with you. I thought it was solid. Um, Dolph is just so fucking bland these days. As you said, he doesn't seem to give a shit. He goes out there, he occasionally has a good tag match, but he just, he did not look like he gave a single shit here. I actually thought Mansoor looked better than him. I think Mansoor has a ton of potential, but again, like you said, and we said going into the preview, they need to use this guy more than fucking twice a year. You know, and the other thing that really bothered me was, can we stop calling every time he wins a miracle win? 
I mean, he beat fucking Cesaro, okay? I mean, the miracle win bullshit is getting old. It's like when every time the women do something, it's fucking history making. We fucking get it, but when you burn it into the ground like that, it's diminishing returns. Just Mansoor picked up a win over a former world champion should have been the fucking headline. Don't right. call it a miracle win. Put it over. The worst part about this for me was it was at this point of the show, the crowd was really starting to fade. And they were not even really into Mansoor or his post-match promo all that much, which is very telling because he was like the star of the past couple of these shows. Yeah, I mean, the, the crowd shots they showed, again, I'm sure produced and selected, showed people happy. They, you know, when he yelled out Riyadh or whatever it was he did, you know, there was a, a, a reaction, at least that I could hear. Um, but, you know, overall, I'm sure even the casual Saudi Arabian audience picked up that every time this guy shows up, he gets a win over somebody. So, you know, there's something there with him. He's got a great look. You know, he, uh, he, he's got good looks, and I think there's a lot of potential there, like you said. They can't just keep, like, throwing him out on Saudi shows and be like, all right, we'll see you in six months. Or, here, stand next to what's-his-nuts with the, with the red hair and do commentary. Sam Roberts, ugh. Like, no, he, he's a young, good-looking wrestler. Make him wrestle more. Exactly. They really should, and that's, uh, that's kind of the frustrating thing about this. So, next up, we had the WWE Championship match where, to the shock of nobody, Brock Lesnar defeated Ricochet. And guess what, everybody? <laughs> Brock wasn't in the mood to work tonight because it took a minute and 30 seconds. Ricochet charged him, was instantly cut off. Brock mauled him, hit Germans, ragdolled him, hit an F5, and then he danced over his fucking corpse. Now, listen. <laughs> we all knew Brock was going to win, right? Of course we did. There's no problem with Brock Lesnar winning this match. Number two, there's no problem with Brock Lesnar winning a dominant match. But you sit there and give Ricochet this big fucking blowjob underdog babyface video package. And then you make him look like the biggest fucking geek since Kofi Kingston on Fox. <laughs> I mean, You ever get the feeling that the, that the WWE is just trolling the audience at times? Dude, it, it's so sad. And I'm not one of these guys that like, oh, he should have stayed away from WWE. Listen, Ricochet, apparently, from all reports and interviews, was a guy that eventually always wanted to go to WWE. That's great. He's probably living his dream. He's making a good paycheck. I'm happy for him. But I'm sorry. I personally miss seeing Super Indie Ricochet and Best of the Super Junior winning Ricochet and Match of the Year having Ricochet. I'm not saying that he should have dominated Brock. I'm not saying this should have went 20 minutes. You can't give a brother seven or eight minutes to let him get a little flash before Brock kills him. And again, I have no problem with Brock absolutely dominating most of the match. But 90 fucking seconds? I mean, how is anybody supposed to look at Ricochet and identify with him anything other than the fact that he's a giant geek? Yeah, it's going to be a few years before you, you can take Ricochet seriously again. Unless on the next Raw, he pulls a gun and shoots Brock Lesnar. Um, look, he uh, he was half the reason Brock got eliminated from the Royal Rumble. And it's funny, I watched this match and I thought of a conversation I had with my kid. We passed a gas station. I don't know if you've ever seen kangaroo gas stations. Yeah. But it 
prompted my son to ask, why do they always like draw pictures of kangaroos with boxing gloves? Which got into a whole conversation about boxing kangaroos and working bears. You know, wrestling bears. <laughs> and I watched this match with Brock Lesnar and Ricochet. And in my mind, it may have been the time of uh, the time that I was watching this. And I watched it twice because I watched it by myself the first time and I watched it with my son the second. And because I had to I had to show this to him. Uh, and all I pictured was Ricochet in there with a live bear. It's the only way the match made sense to me. Uh, may may sound strange, but it but it, I I was able to appreciate the match that much more when I realized Ricochet was in there with a wild animal. Well, I that mean, said, Brock pretty much is so. <laughs> yeah, that said, I mean, I don't know what they were thinking here. I don't know what the logic behind this was, but because I I do have sort of a trollish mind when it comes to the WWE these days and the internet wrestling community. I had a good laugh at this. I I. I liked ricochet when he was in nxt uh it was the first time i'd ever seen him and him bouncing all over the place as is his namesake uh was fucking great and of course he got bumped up too soon and then he got thrown in and given nothing and on a positive note at least he got new ring gear and he didn't come out looking like a cosplaying comic book character there you go that's all that's all i got for you zonka yeah, it's just so frustrating. Again, I, I think you can have Brock dominate the guy, but you can also give him a little something. So at least you can say, you know, Ricochet, you know, put up a great fight, but Brock was just too much for him. I was going to say, didn't they do that with Balor and Daniel Bryan where they kept doing the David and Goliath fighting from underneath, but eventually yeah. Brock is too much for you? And did they try that with Brock and he go... Nah, three times is way too much for that sort of thing. How about this? How about I just murder him? How about I just maul the guy like a bear? Yes, like a bear. And they were like, okay, Brock, you're the boss. And poor Ricochet just like, you know, you pan the camera and he's just in a corner, single tear, writing out his will and testament. Someone made a a meme online. It was uh, Will Ospreay holding a cell phone calling Ricochet. And it's like, (laughs) hey, Rick, what up? And he's like, nothing. What do you want? And it goes back to Ospreay. Don't call me anymore, you fucking loser. (laughs) <laughs> I, was just, I don't know why I, I saw it like right after that match somebody posted it and I laughed so I'm like again I feel bad for the guy I just think you're like you're totally pigeonholing him and like he wasn't in a good position anyway because the AJ Styles feud honestly didn't really do anything for him and that was one of those feuds where everybody was like don't worry Ricochet's gonna get his win back and have a great match with AJ and that never happened same thing happened with Cedric Alexander as well, and everybody told me Cedric's going to be fine, and he's jobbing a Riddick Moss on main event. I know you're not the hugest fan of this particular person, but Jim Cornette was talking about Ricochet, and you know, they they, they for years now the WWE has been trying to find the next Rey Mysterio, and you know, so the but the newest likely candidate to tr- to try to make a new Rey Mysterio is Ricochet. Um, there was a long conversation about this on one of the recent Jim Cornette podcasts. Here's the thing with that. Ray fucking won matches. He yeah. won a lot of matches. <laughs> he was the Cruiserweight champion for what felt like forever. Him and Dean Malenko and him and Jericho had barn burners. For a while, Like those three guys held up that entire division. Don't forget and, Eddie. And, and Eddie. Yeah, and his stuff with Eddie. Um, and I'm just talking about WCW here. 
for the longest time, they were like the cornerstones of the cruiserweight division and one of the jewels on Monday Nitro. I think it's safe to say they're not doing any of those things with Ricochet. Oh, they're not. So It's just disappointing. And here's the thing, because you know, whenever we talk about stuff like this, people are to go, well, Larry, not everybody can be a main eventer. I fucking know that. That's not what I'm saying. I'll I'm set up saying, for winning matches. Yeah, but I'm just saying, give him a little something so he can fucking get, walk away from this match like he actually still has a set of nuts. Okay? Yeah. He can, there's nothing wrong with Ricochet being a great mid-card guy, shoring up the US or IC title division. This is something I rallied on for years because I never understood the fucking burial of Zack Ryder. Now, of course, Zack Ryder is not the wrestler that fucking Ricochet is. But Zack Ryder was one of the most over-fucking dudes on that roster. He got cheered over The Rock one night. And the fact is, all they, could, all they wanted to do with him was embarrass him 98% of the time. Well, he, he did the unforgivable. He you got over on his that. own. Yes, I know. He was creative. He, you know, he went for that brass ring, except that it wasn't his turn, and and that wasn't the intention, and so he was punished. But I mean, Zack Ryder's a dude. He's a good worker. He has a good look. Still, there's no reason Zack shouldn't have been a solid main event or a mid card hand. There's nothing wrong with that. But they just wanted to shit it away because you know, as you said, he he made the mistake. He got over on his own. There's a four foot man on AEW who goes 50-50 with wrestlers three times his size. You can make anybody a main eventer in pro wrestling if you put enough thought and creativity into it. They just don't want to. And Marco's fucking over while he's doing it, too. That's what pisses everybody off. Yes, sir. I'm sorry, not everybody. The people that don't get it. <laughs> and, and real quick on the Cornette thing, like I don't necessarily like hate Jim Cornette, dude. Trust me, I have a ton of respect for Jim Cornette. My problem with Jim Cornette is... He's unfortunately like a lot of podcasters like Bruce Pritchard and stuff that he's fucking just turned into a parody and a gimmick. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that, that, that's my problem because Jim Cornette is a fucking genius on many levels when it comes to professional wrestling. Yeah, I, think, I generally enjoy his insight. Yes. I don't necessarily enjoy some of his philosophical <laughs> takes on things, but his insight into pro wrestling into into what gets over and what doesn't, why you do certain things, is more or less why I listen to his podcasts. Exactly, and that's where he's the genius at, man. But I, I don't have time for all the other bullshit. I don't have time to listen and sort through it. So, right. And I also think he's one of the greatest managers of all time, on top of that. so. But yeah, that's uh, all you gotta do. Next up, the Steel Cage match. Oh boy. The big dog, Roman Reigns, defeating King Corbin, 13-35 via pin mark. Your thoughts, sir? Uh, I hearken back to the days of Hulk Hogan and King Kong Bundy at WrestleMania 2, only this didn't have nearly the charisma or ability. Whew! This was slow. I... I showed this to my son because he wanted to see a cage match and I got this rousing response on Twitter of why would you show him this one to show him Mankind versus Taker Al in the Cell and I'm like well we watched that one too uh, <laughs> my, the best thing about this and again you asked me what did I think of the match the match was slow and plodding and you know uh, more of the same from Roman and Corbin so my only take on this is sort of 
watching other people react to it and then reacting to that. So watching my son, you know, watch this match and him booing the shit out of Corbin was fucking great. And um, he bit on every pinfall. Every time Corbin, and Corbin got a lot of them, every time Corbin pinned Roman, um, attempted to pin Roman Reigns, my son bit and thought, oh, this is it. He's going he's gonna to beat him this time and my heart will be broken. And this happened again and again, and he got so into it. And like he's not like the world's biggest fan of wrestling, but this, for whatever reason, appealed to a six-year-old boy. And so there's something to be said for that. And he was super into it. And when Roman Reigns finally defeated the evil King Corbin, my son could not have been happier. And I was watching the crowd. Um, and I think they were like chants during this one. The crowd seemed to be into it. The crowd was happy when Roman Reigns won. It's objectively not a good match. But subjectively, obviously people enjoyed it. It's uh, it was appreciated by, you know, little kids and casual Saudi fans. And in that way, it served its purpose, says the groveling WWE apologist. All right. So your son and Baron Corbin's family greatly enjoyed this match. <laughs> That's good to know. And um, no, I'm glad your son liked it. But I mean, uh, yeah, for, I thought that first, let me get this out of the way. I thought this fucking sucked. <laughs> I thought it was horrible. The Did best you thing, get, like, King Kong Bundy Hogan, like, uh, like flashbacks to this, too? Or is that just me, just crazy me? Yeah, I think I liked Hogan and Bundy better than this, brother. I'm telling you. <laughs> I, just, I, I laughed because during the show, you know, I'm always, like, keeping an eye on Twitter, seeing who's tweeting at me and stuff like that. And um, my friends at Voices of Wrestling, I don't know if it was Rich or Joe, one of them posted is, oh, there's Roman and King Corbin having a two-star special in a cage. And I wrote back... Two stars? Did you fucking watch it twice? <laughs> no, I just... I thought this was horrible. The work had absolutely no intensity to it for a cage match between two guys that have made each other dog food Jesus on separate occasions <laughs> and supposedly hate each other. There was just no sense of urgency to the climbing or the pins. As you said, it was so slow. And there was just no drama for me. And worst of all... It was like 13 and a half minutes. It felt like 60. And the crowd was generally dead throughout. Like, there were some minor pops here and there. Like, they were happy Roman won, likely because it was over. But the <laughs> biggest thing was for me is, like, WWE cage matches, I mean, thankfully this didn't have a shit ton of interference, but they just continue to be largely bad. And my biggest takeaway from this is keep these two away from each other forever. It doesn't <laughs> work. It has never worked. And it will never work. Don't ever well, want to see it again. Well, you know where they're headed. So, yes, I would imagine these two are done with each other. Finally. I would hope so. Just ugh, not good at all. That and the Twig Trophy match. Or the prestigious Twig <laughs> Mountain Trophy match did absolutely nothing for me. thought it was horrible stuff. <laughs> So next, what did you what hang on what did you watch when this was all over to get the taste out of your mouth? I go, I want to know what does Larry Zonka like use for a palate cleanser when for his job he has to suffer through this nonsense. I generally retreat to my DVR and um I have a shit ton of Tarantino movies that I enjoy. Oh sweet. And um I popped on Jackie Brown. Good man. That's so. an excellent one. Excellent choice. 
I, I, there's so many things I love about that movie, and you've seen it, obviously. So I think one of my favorite parts is when um, Jackie's at the bar by her house, and Samuel Jackson meets her, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, he tells the dude to get him a screwdriver, and he uh, looks at Pam Greer, and he goes, do you need anything? She goes, no, I'm fine. And he's like, yes, you are. <laughs> the bartender is so smooth and then uh you know samuel jackson like putting over the bar and he's like he's like you know you must come in here on saturday nights and need um n-word repellent to keep those brothers off of you and she's like no i do all right he's like jackie i bet you do a bit more than all right you're a fine motherfucker <laughs> and it's just like it's like a three minute scene i don't know why it pops me every time it's so i love quentin tarantino films i don't think there's one that i haven't enjoyed but Jackie Brown, for reasons that are my own and personal, is one of my favorites. I think the, the one of the weirdest things about that movie, I don't know why, but like the fucking De Niro part, just always like it's so fucking weird. Like, oh, De are you Niro- talking about when he when he shoots? It was Jodie Foster. Um, I, I can't remember if that's the actress's name or not. No, no, uh, that's not. Fuck, I gotta look it up now. But yeah, are you talking about the part where he just shoots her dead in the parking lot? Because that's brilliant. Well, no, it's just the fact that, like, De Niro's in that movie. And that's Bridget Fonda, by the way. Damn it. Ah, I was so close. But, no, it's just, like, I don't know why it's, like, De Niro in that movie feels so weird. I mean, he's great in it, but it's just, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> the, that remind, the other bar scene with him and Samuel L. Jackson is great after he fucks her. Yes. And then he's, like, he's, like, so is she, like, your girlfriend? He's, like, no. He's, like, but you fucked her anyway. He's, like, yeah. Felt bad. He goes, <laughs> oh, but you felt bad about it. <laughs> Sean, when we reviewed it, Sean Comer and I talked about how there's so many other actors you could use for like a heavy, you know, gangster type that doesn't say much and just sort of mumbles his lines. And I think it's it's so hilarious that Quentin Tarantino was like, you know what, Robert De Niro, because like, the only other one in history that I can think of that that's as equally funny to me is is George Clooney as this as Sparky the dog in South Park. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, uh, I threw on Jackie Brown and relaxed, and I had, a, I had a good time. That movie has a fucking phenomenal soundtrack, by the way, too. Yeah, if, if, if you don't like Quentin Tarantino's directing, you have to at least enjoy his appreciation for music. Yeah. By the way, real quick before we get back into the show, if you guys have never seen it, there's a two-part director's chair with uh, Robert Rodriguez interviewing him from El Rey. Um, it's fantastic. It, it talks about their friendship and like the, the theory of how they get into making movies and everything. And... um. Hearing how he started picking his soundtrack stuff is just so cool. So, yeah. But back to the uh, the Saudi Arabia show here. SmackDown yes, Women's Champion Bailey defeated Naomi 11.45 via pen mark. What did you think of this one? Um, this was better than I expected it to be. I think when we talked about it, uh, Bailey's had some clunkers. But we, I was hoping that she would have a good dance partner here. And... Uh, I, I think both of them had some difficult had some difficulty wrestling in the gear that they had to wear for this show, it being Saudi Arabia and all. But uh, they found their way through it. Looks like the crowd seemed to have enjoyed it. Uh, I thought Bailey. This might actually be my favorite Bailey match since she's since she's been on this heel run. One, she didn't look depressed. She looked like she had some fire. She's like, I'm here to kick ass and chew bubble gum. And as we all know, they're all out of bubble gum. Uh, Naomi was a right proper face. She was bright. She was shiny. People seemed to be into her. The kids seemed to enjoy her. 
Um, I make my daughter watch all the women's matches, and she loves Bailey and Naomi, so this was a heartbreaker for her. And she thought poor Bailey killed this woman at the end of the match. I looked over, and she's starting to tear up, and I'm like, what is wrong with you? And she's like, Naomi may never be able to wrestle again. <laughs> Can I just tell everyone, watching wrestling with little children is the best thing ever. Um <laughs> It was an interesting, uh, inventive way to use the gear to trip up Naomi and win the match. And uh, I had a lot of fun with this one. I thought it was good. Yeah, I thought despite some uh, some like rough edges early on, I thought it was a really solid match. In theory, the big thing they had going for them, um, unlike Natalia and Lacey, who just had to go out there and do a match with kind of no emotion, no heel-face dynamic was that they were allowed to work an actual babyface heel match. Um, I didn't think it added as much as I would hope to it. Um, as you said, the crowd seemed to really like Naomi, but they weren't like super into this as well. But I did like the creative finish, which if you guys missed it, was they had to wear, obviously they were wearing bodysuits and they had to wear like t-shirts over them. The finish saw Bailey trip her up, basically tie Naomi's, Naomi's foot into her shirt and then plant her on her head with the rose plant to finish her. So that was a cool finish, and like you said, it made good use of the gear. And I kind of attribute some of that rough edge stuff, as you mentioned, to the uh, to the gear because they're not used to having to wrestle and all that. So you know, it um it wasn't horrible. I thought it was perfectly solid. Didn't mind it at all. And uh, Bailey retains, and we'll see where they go from here. I hope they continue this trend of Bailey being fiery and angry and a badass, and not. Like she's on antidepressants. I, I I've been dying for Bailey to to go to do this heel turn because I because I, I again I think she's one of the underappreciated talents they have. You know she's always the bridesmaid, never the bride, and now she gets to play on that. And then they give her so little to work with, and this poor woman, she's so good and she could be so much better, and yet like the theme of this whole damn show we've been talking about rug pull under every time. And so, like I said, this one, she actually had a lot of fiery heel charisma and I'm begging to God, they, they let her keep going in this direction and she doesn't go back to sad clown Bailey. I agree. I, I do like seeing her being a little more aggressive and stuff. I think it fits that fits the heel turn for me much better than her just being Debbie Downer. Yeah. A hundred percent. But I uh, know I totally agree, and that led to our main event of the evening for the Universal Championship. Yes, yes. The Fiend versus Goldberg. Now, for those of you that missed this, I'm actually going to give you a detailed recap of this wrestling match. Goldberg hits a spear for two at the bell. The Fiend gets the mandible claw. Goldberg ex escapes. Spear, 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 and he covers for two. The Fiend gets the mandible claw again. Goldberg escapes. Hit some knee strikes, a rough-ass-looking jackhammer because Bray did not go up for him. And then he pinned him in 2 minutes and 10 seconds, and we have a new Universal Champion, um, as I told you in the preview. Which, I got a lot of shit for that one. Oh, there's no way Oldberg's beating The Fiend after all this, Larry. You're insane. <laughs> Your reasoning makes no sense. Goldberg's not going to be around past WrestleMania. Um, I explained to you... They're trying to get a pay-per-view deal with another streaming service. It doesn't matter that Ronda Rousey's not around anymore. They fucking used her to get a billion-dollar deal with Fox. And Fox doesn't seem to give a fuck that she's not there. They used Brock Lesnar to get that deal, and he's, he was on SmackDown for like two weeks. 
It doesn't matter do the pe- that Bill might be done at Mania. Do the people who read your stuff not watch wrestling? Apparently not. They th- the People say, oh, you just like to make out-of-the-box picks to make out-of-the-box picks. Well, I said there would be a uh, tag title change on the show, and we got a tag title change. The cognitive dissonance you'd have to have to think that that's an out-of-the-box pick alarms me for the future of this country. Are you kidding me? I mean, I know we both were like, well, they could do this and have Bray win, but you, we both joked about how watch them put the title on Goldberg because it was fucking obvious. And I'm sorry. I mean, listen, I, I know the argument is, well, they, they put the fiend over all these guys and made him an unstoppable monster for six months. The whole thing to me, if you want to look at it from a storyline aspect, the whole thing with the fiend was is he basically won his matches because not only was he kind of a monster that no sold things, but look back into Seth Rollins' feud. He mind fucked that little bastard before they even got in the ring to the point that Seth was crying in the corner on an episode of Raw. Okay, so basically The Fiend had everybody beat before they went into the match. Daniel Bryan kind of overcame to a point, lasted longer than everybody else for the most part, outside of the horribly long Seth matches, and then he eventually got beat as well. The thing is, when they ran that angle on SmackDown, that's to me when I felt they were doing the title change, because Goldberg's in the ring, the lights go out, the lights come back on, and Goldberg goes, you're behind me, aren't you? And they turned around and speared him out of his fucking boots, and the fiend disappeared. Some will joke that Bill was too stupid to be mind fucked. <laughs> and I saw that online and I laughed because it is funny. But the thing is, he didn't get in Goldberg's head. Goldberg stuck with all work and he beat his ass. I'm not going to be upset with you if you're upset that the fiend lost and you think it's wasted booking. But it's not like the fiend is facing Elias at Mania, he's going to face John Cena now. Goldberg versus Roman Reigns to me is a much better match than the Fiending um, Roman Reigns. So I'm fine with that. But I think the overall picture of this show that bothers people is this. The Undertaker not only won a match he wasn't in, but he pinned AJ Styles in five seconds with one move, and we're supposed to be allegedly excited about a wrestling match between these two at the biggest show in the year. When The Undertaker hasn't had a good Mania match in years, and AJ Styles' best WrestleMania match has unfortunately been with Shane McMahon. Add on to the top of that that AJ's regular matches haven't really been uh, breaking the gentleman's three stars in a long time. He's, like, good, but he's way far from the performer he used to be. Maybe it's Mania. Maybe they'll find some magic in that old hat of The Undertaker, and maybe it'll be good. I don't know. But it doesn't exactly brim me with hope. Now, one thing I will throw out there before Monday's Raw is AJ Styles is facing Aleister Black on Raw. Undertaker kicked the shit out of the Good Brothers in Saudi Arabia. Maybe it's not Taker and AJ. Maybe they go the Nathan Jones route and maybe they try to put Aleister Black over and maybe it's going to be Taker and Aleister Black versus the OC in a handicap match. Which, in theory, I think does have a little more potential than a straight-up singles match. Now, some people won't be happy with it, but some people aren't happy with AJ and Undertaker either. But I'm just going to throw that little morsel out there and let it rock around in your noodle until it officially gets announced. The other thing is, obviously, Brock kills Ricochet and makes him a geek in 90 seconds. Again, there's no problem with Brock winning. 
it's just that you fucking thrashed Ricochet, and I don't understand how anybody could get really invested in him as a babyface going forward. As you said, it's going to take a long time to rehab him. And then in the main event, people were upset because it feels like they wasted six months with The Fiend. And I think when you mix this all together, it kind of goes back to the argument that people have had for years. They keep bringing back the old stars and refuse to try to make viable new stars. And it's hard to make new stars. I mean, age again, AJ's not uh, so much a, an indicator in this because AJ's 40, okay? But he shouldn't have lost, say, in five seconds. I kind of <laughs> think he could have done that a little better. Ricochet is a fucking young dude that you could make a star. Again, I'm not saying he's going to win the world title and hold it for a year, but the man is talented and could be used way better. The thing is, they didn't even get him a chance here. They killed him dead. And then the Bray thing, I'm not going to argue if you're upset, like I said. He got killed in under three minutes. Now, again, I kind of think it's the right choice because I think Goldberg and Roman has a chance of being way better. I don't think it's going to be a classic. Don't get me wrong, please. But uh, to me, it's way more interesting than The Fiend. Plus, think about it. They teased that match over three years ago when they were building to the one Rumble and him and Roman had a big face-off. But the thing is, it does feel like you wasted a lot of time with Bray. But I also think that the company's biggest problem with Bray was The Fiend is a character that doesn't need the championship and shouldn't be concerned with championships. Mm. The Fiend is one of those characters like The Undertaker early on that should have been pushed as that supernatural force, should have ran through a bunch of people, and the only time you consider putting the championship on him is when the fans demand it. Like, if there's a point to where Bray is this fucking wrecking fools for nine months, and whoever's the champion, you know, Johnny Boots and Tights is out there as your world champion, and he's out there, and I've beaten everybody, and I'll take anybody on, and the crowd starts chanting, wowie, yowie, wowie, then you consider it because they want it then. I felt like they rushed it on to him too, too soon. And yeah, I mean, it's I'm not going to argue it could be damaging to Bray, but in theory, he should be beating Cena at Mania because John's not full-time. Now, if he loses to Cena at Mania, you guys can bitch all you want because <laughs> I mean, that man. will be a horrible call. Because John ain't coming back working a live event schedule anytime soon. Oh, Larry. Let me tell you why I never bought into The Fiend. Tell me, Mark. And, wh- and, and why I laughed heartily as my kids and I enjoyed the hero, the beast slayer, the superhero, Goldberg, defeating the evil clown that is The Fiend Bray Wyatt. So... Bray Wyatt comes up from NXT onto Raw as Cajun cult leader, um, crab walking, proceeds to lose every match. Just every feud, every match. They beat him like a drum to the point where it becomes laughable. I, I, I remember uh, during the Orlando WrestleMania, I think he was world champion at one point, and then he had that ridiculous match with Randy Orton. Oh, with the good sperm for... in the ring, yeah. Yeah, good stuff. Um, Bray and his projector. Terrific. Either way, Bray's run, either they were beating him ridiculously uh, every which way but loose, or he was in not-so-great feuds. So when they started with the Firefly Funhouse, I wouldn't even watch those segments. I'm like, well, this is more... 
of that WWE writer bullshit that I can't stand, and I don't care. And everybody around me was like, Rattledge, you like the Ultimate Warrior. No one, no one cares about your opinion. This, this, with noses high in the air, they're like, this Firefly Funhouse is just the best. It's, it's, the, it's the talk of the town. And I'm like, no, this is all going to fall apart. Watch. And then they do the thing with the fiend. Um, they had him debut. They, you know, they gave him the code orange music and everyone's like, that's how you make a fucking star. They were like, it was, it was a renaissance in the WWE. And I said, watch, this is going to be hot garbage. This is not going to work. And everyone's like, oh, you like Goldberg. Nobody listens to you. Shut up. Okay. And then he proceeded to fake break Finn Balor's neck. Remember that? Remember that? Remember when he snapped the guy's neck in the middle of the ring? I do remember this, yes. <laughs> and I laughed. And I was and I and I looked at it kind of like, you know, like a dog, just very quizzically. And everyone's like, oh, it's fine. You can break guys' necks in pro wrestling. It's believable. Okay. And then he did the thing with Seth Rollins with the 900 curb stomps and then in the red mood lighting. And this just went on and on and on. And I, and I said to anyone that would listen, they're going to beat him. They're never going to let this reach its full potential. They haven't yet. Why would they start now with Bray Wyatt? For some odd reason, this motherfucker can run a marathon, be leagues ahead of everyone, just running laps on the whole damn roster, get to the finish line, and somebody in, from, from Vince McMahon or who the hell knows in the back shoots him at the finish line, and everybody runs over his corpse. I've seen it, I've seen it, and I've seen it again with Bray Wyatt, so I never bought into The Fiend because I knew they were going to fuck this up, and here we are! I can just, like, imagine this pre-match meeting. Bray goes out to him. Hey, Bill, what do you want to do tonight out there, brother? Well, I got five spears and three minutes in me, brother. That's it. You're going down. <laughs> this is like, it's, yeah. it's so funny. And I did. I fucking howled when it happened. And here's the other thing, okay? There are people out there that are going to tell you that The Fiend was great. And that The Fiend was over in the best sure. day of the company. And that his thing was, a like you said, a big renaissance. And it was fucking artful. Let me explain this to you guys. Those people are liars. Those people <laughs> are not your friends. They're wrong and you should never trust them. I'm not saying it was bad. But as Mark kind of broke down, it ended up as every Bray Wyatt thing ever. Bray Wyatt is a dude with a ton of good ideas fantastic delivery when he talks. He often doesn't really say anything, but he has fantastic delivery of nothing. And WWE just never knows what the fuck to do with him. And it is what it is, man. Again, it's not, he's not buried. He's not in the Andre the Geek Battle Royal. He's facing Cena. He's still getting a big match. They're going to do something with him. We'll see what the fuck happens. But, I mean, I think it was the right call, and I think a lot of the Fiend outrage is honestly faux outrage. Just like, oh, well, we, we, we can't have him winning and blah, blah, or losing yet. Well, no, pe people hate Goldberg. People hate Brock. People hate, you know, the part-time comeback. And, you know, th there's this community amongst the wrestling, internet wrestling fans that looks at these, you know, that, that wants, the, wants everyone to be Kenny Omega. 
They want him to be the big bout machine. I think is the phrase that you used. You know, they want they want high speed, high class, high impact wrestling all the time from all from all the indie fellows they've loved before. And they don't like the old 90s, early 2000 era guys coming back for huge paydays and big victories. They hate it. It's my life's blood. I love it. <laughs> More of that, please. But because I don't, you know, I I see wrestling, I, I think, differently from some. You know, I see it as a big circus. I see it as monster trucks. I see it as the ice capades. Uh Arenas full of happy kids, look, you know, watching the good guys win, the superheroes win, and the bad guys lose. Uh, you know, so the big, uh, the big, uh, muscly superhero cut came out and defeated the evil clown. Yay, good, good triumph over evil. That's that's wrestling. Um, and I know for some people that's gag me with a spoon, but I, you know, it you do what works. And and I know people like hate Goldberg and they hate that opinion, but eh, there's other companies and other wrestling for for you. This isn't it. And the other thing, and I agree, Mar, is like the best thing to me, and I've always said this about wrestling is wrestling can be different things to different people. And the best part about it is when pro wrestling is done right. It is like a fucking spice rack. There's a little bit of something for everybody. I like we're going to talk about the AEW pay per view, and there couldn't have been two more different matches than the fucking high intensity, high octane, but also filled with some great storytelling tag title match, juxtaposed against Pack and Orange Cassidy. <laughs> Okay, and we're going to talk about that, but it's just like there's people there, there's something for everybody. There are people that love the Dark Order. There are people that fucking love famous dick wrestler Joey Ryan. Whatever makes you fucking happy. Hang on, th- since you brought it up, I'm so excited because not only are we getting Effie's big gay brunch, but also the return of Joey Ryan's penis party at WrestleMania weekend. I'm doing cartwheels in my living room. Let me tell you. <laughs> Yeah, 900 WrestleMania weekend shows again this year. So, yep. but yeah, but I mean, no, there, there is something for everybody. Like, yeah, you look at Mania weekend, you, you have Joey Janela's spring break again. You got Bloodsport again. You got the Joey Ryan show. You got Effie show. I mean, there's, there's going to be stuff for everybody. It just depends on what you want. And I try to stress, like, I know people are like, oh, after this super showdown bullshit, I don't even want to watch WWE again. Well then, don't if it pisses you off, guys. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just trying to be honest with you. Like, I I watch it because it's my job. Sure. But the thing is, if you watch Raw or you watch SmackDown or you watch Super Showdown, and you walk away like fucking viscerally angry and hating the world, stop. Just stop, regroup, yeah. and then go look for something else. And I've tried to tell people this. I talk about my wrestling journey as a fan. Over the years from a little kid, I started with the NWA. I watched fucking Global. I watched the AWA. I watched World Class. I got into WWF. I got into ECW. Obviously, you know, WCW. And just, it all was like going on and going on. And then WCW died and ECW died. And all I was left with on the main stage was WWE. And I wasn't hating it, but it wasn't doing it for me. And I've said time and time again, the thing that honestly saved my fandom was the birth of TNA. 
I started watching the weekly pay-per-views. I got to learn about a bunch of new talent. Low-key Christopher Daniels, AJ Styles, and guys like that. America's Most Wanted, the Team Canada guys. I got to see Jerry Lynn have a great late career run who doesn't get enough credit for his early work in the X Division there. I will say that to the day I fucking die. And... It was from there that I started getting into like Ring of Honor and PWG because, hey, AJ Styles and Christopher Daniels and Low-Key work here. And they work here. So I would get DVDs on occasion. I got into Lucha. And then, you know, stuff years later, I would get into like Evolve in Japan. And then I just started a fucking um, a la carte and shit, man. I pop around. Like, I hear about a couple great stardom matches. I cherry pick some stardom matches. I do this, I do that. Hey, all Japan had a great show, Larry. You should watch these three matches. On it. I'll watch it. I mean, part of it is because I love it. Part of it is my job. But the other thing is, there is too much fucking great wrestling out there for you that if something is angering you, whatever it is, WWE, AEW, Impact, ROH, New Japan, if something fucking just pisses you off that bad, guys, drop it. So I never got pissed, but I got so bored by the mayonnaise on white bread bread product that was WWE a few years ago. I almost stopped watching just out of lethargy. I, I'm like, I don't, you know, I would watch one hour of Monday Night Raw for the same reason most people go to church. It's like, well, it's a thing that I've done for many, many years, and I can't really get out of the habit of it. Um, But, you know, I record my podcast at 9 o'clock almost every night of the week, so um, I would watch one hour of Raw, and that was all the wrestling I watched. And I almost stopped watching that, too, because the WWE product bored me to tears. And around this time is when a little gaggle of people around me were like, you should be watching Impact on Twitch. And... Uh, they would be the, the you know f- talk. They would be talking about these different shows here and there. Like you should give this a try. You should give that a try. Like don't just give up on wrestling. Try these other things. And you know what I weirdly and I'm I'm kind of an odd duck, but weirdly you know what the first thing I I watched an entire season of and it became a thing that me and my daughter would do. We watched Women of Wrestling, and I loved it. Dude, now, I reviewed <laughs> the last season, dude. No, there's nothing wrong. That's first of all, that show has great production value. Sure it does. Absolutely. My daughter and I, that became like a Monday routine of ours. Like I, cause I always had it on the DVR and she would come home from school and when her homework was done, we would sit and watch women of wrestling and she got super into it. There were a whole bunch of characters. And I also double in TNA. They wrestled there as well. Um, she, you know, she cheered for, uh, you know, like, like fire and the, and the sassy massy. And she just loved it. I loved it. I thought it was like, wow, this is a really fun show. Um, and just slowly, but surely, like I tried giving ring of honor a chance. We all know I, uh, I'm, I was the president of the Matt Taven fan club, eh. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I took the opportunity. I started watching new Japan, mostly on the strength of your 900 reviews of the damn thing. And like, and the, and I actually, I think it was the G1 from last year where everyone was, you know, was talking about like, oh my God, there's all these great matchups. John Moxley's in there. He had just left the WWE. And I was like, all right, let me give this a chance. It's on Access TV. This isn't that hard for me. And long story short, I found shit tons of other wrestling that I was enjoying. It would put a smile on my face and some of it I could watch with my kids. And we all had a grand old time. And I stopped caring whether or not the WWE was the best thing ever. It often isn't, and I just don't care anymore. There's other stuff I can watch. Yeah, and again, that's why I say I just, 
Uh, if you're a wrestling fan, be a happy wrestling fan, man. Don't overindulge to the point that you think you're getting burnt out. Don't watch shit that you hate because you don't have to. Just find what you love. That's just... Try to get that out there all the time, man. And like I said, nobody's perfect. Because I see people like, I just don't like AEW. Oh, well, okay, cool. Don't waste your two hours a week then, guy. It's like, seriously, if the show pisses you off and you don't quote-unquote like these indie guys or whatever, or the spot monkey you want to call them, or whatever the hell the name is of the week, don't watch it then if it pisses you off, man. There's too much good shit out there. So to close this out, Mark, WWE Super Showdown 2020, what did you think of this show overall? Uh, well, first, let me give you my my the Rattledge rating system on Goldberg versus The Fiend, because I think this needs to be said. Uh, five stars. It was perfect. <laughs> Just everything about it. Loved every minute of it. Brought joy to my life. Five-star classic. Not since Ricky the Dragon Steamboat versus Macho Man at WrestleMania 3 have I been so happy to see a wrestling match. That said... <laughs> uh, C minus. All right, that's fair. You know, I sat there and I, I tried to be very objective about this because I, I don't like the whole premise of the Saudi shows and everything. But the fact is, I looked at this show and honestly, it it wasn't complete trash. Please nah. don't get me wrong. It wasn't good. But they've had way worse shows in Saudi Arabia. No, I thought your rating was fair. Four and a half. It was, it was a little less than average. Yeah, I just yeah. I, I thought it was an overall poor show. I mean, it didn't go as long as some of them, but others, but it did feel long. And it's just, a, it, it's not a good wrestling show. Some interesting things came out of it. I enjoyed a couple, a couple matches, but it's just, I mean, yeah, if I didn't have to watch the show, I definitely wouldn't. No, I told you I hadn't watched a single Saudi show because I thought they were, they were trash on garbage <laughs> uh, until the Brock Kane thing and uh, Tyson Fury. By the way, my, my Tyson Fury shirt came in the mail. I'll be wearing it to WrestleMania. T-R-O-L-L. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I couldn't stand these shows and I only started watching when they start, when they were doing the Tyson Fury stuff. And this one I, I watched because I knew we were going to talk about it. Um, I probably would have watched the Goldberg Fiend thing no matter what in the Brock Lesnar match, but I just, in all honesty, it was so funny to me because we were going to talk about it, which means I had to pay attention. I couldn't be on Twitter the whole time. I had to watch the whole thing. I couldn't just watch select matches that I cared about and fast forward through the rest because, again, we were talking about it, and I'm going to talk about it on my own podcast with uh, with Bailey and Sheehan, and I, I was thinking in the back of my head, I was just like, God, is this how this is how Larry has to do things? He actually actually watched this. Ugh, this is a nightmare. <laughs> like, I just want to fast forward this, um, which is not really how you want to watch a wrestling show. Yeah, I know. So yeah, just um, yeah, not an enjoyable show, unfortunately. So it's just uh, I mean, it is what it is. They're serving eight hundred masters, and I don't know. It's uh, it's pretty much what I expected from it. So, WCW 2000. So, and we are going to move on, Mark. AEW Revolution 2020 taking place last night now because we are, yeah, we are into Sunday, and um, sold out in Chicago. Crowd looked really good. Um, one of the things they had these uh live LED bracelets that they gave to all the fans. 
that had it, uh, they were synced up with like the big screen and the music and shit. And they had teased that they were going to have some kind of interactive thing to the show. And that's what it was. So that was like decently cool. It was new like that. And then we had the buy-in. Mark, did you watch the buy-in match? Or did you skip this like the Saudi show? <laughs> uh, if we're talking about the Dark Order yeah. versus SoCal Uncensored, and let me remind you, Larry, that this is the worst town I've ever been to. That's right. Um, <laughs> yes, I did watch this. All right, so Dark Order defeated SCU in 10 minutes. Before the match, SCU were given a promo. Christopher Daniels was all fired up about putting the Dark Order in their place. Unfortunately for him, Kaz and Sky were like, listen, why don't you just stay back here? Because they didn't say it, but they didn't trust him. So that led to our match. The Dark Order defeated SCU in 10 minutes. Mark, what did you think of our buy-in match? So a couple of things. One, I thought this was a really fun match. It looks like Evil Uno's actually shed a few pounds. He's looking um, a little bit thinner than I think when he first uh, showed up. And a bunch of those guys made a human throne for him. I, don't know, I thought he looked better. Um, I thought, I since they've rebooted the Dark Order, uh, I haven't watched all the segments um, for one reason. I mean, I, I try to watch AEW every week, but a lot of the Dark Order stuff, especially in the beginning, I kind of just fast-forwarded through. But I like this presentation, and I had to sit and kind of focus on it. I like what they're doing with the Dark Order. I'm interested. I'll be curious to see who the higher power, I mean the Exalted One, is. Um, I love SoCal Uncensored. I liked the you know the, the angle going into this was, is Christopher Daniels with the Dark Order or isn't he? Willy won't he? Uh, I thought that was all fun. The, you know, the Chicago surprise of Colt Cabana. I'm going to overlook the fact that it was supposed to be a surprise. Why were they playing his music? <laughs> it's one of those things. It's like, eh, whatever. Um, uh, the, it made the crowd happy. He looked like he was having a blast. The, the save by Christopher Daniels to move the angle forward, I thought was great. Uh, but you asked me what I thought of the actual match and SoCal Uncensored, especially Scorpio Sky are just hot bananas. They always put on a really good, really tight, fun, uh, athletic match. And the Dark Order actually weren't bad either. I thought, you know, Evil Uno, uh, stepped up and, Moved around really, really well. Stu Grayson's got a great look and uh, moves around really well, too. I just thought it was a fun match. I really, I don't have a whole lot of bad to say about this. Yeah, it was definitely a good fun opener for the uh, for a pre-show match. I enjoyed it. And um, obviously, you know, you talked a little about the post-match. They continued the uh, build to the debut of the Exalted One, which could happen as soon as uh, this Wednesday night. Um, yeah, the, the post-match was Dark Order attacking and laying out SCU until Colt Cabana arrived and made the save, getting a huge pop in his hometown. He brawled for a while with them. He got cut off. The Dark Order was mauling everybody. And then some ominous music hit and a robed figure arrived. But it was actually Christopher Daniels. Ha <laughs> ha, fooled you. And he ran down to attack the Dark Order and the babyfaces made the big comeback. Um, as expected, Dark Order won. They did not reveal the Exalted One. Um, the right move overall. And um, I, I am liking it too as well. I, I think it's really... I think they've course corrected really well on the Dark Order thing. Um, and I'm going to be interested to see who the Exalted One is. Because again, you had the... Um, they've been doing really good teases because the Daniels tease was good. And then they had Raven in the crowd one night. So everybody's like, oh shit, it's Raven! Because he was there during a Dark Order segment. 
And then there's people like, well, hey, maybe it could be Lance Archer because he's coming in. Or maybe it's going to be Brody Lee because he's coming in. Or maybe it is going to be Matt Hardy because he's allegedly leaving WWE here because his contract is up technically today. Now, the the interesting thing about Matt real quick is he has been offered a position in NXT. uh, Both kind of like behind the scenes and in front of the camera for allegedly main roster pay. He would be working a lot less. Um, so depending on what Matt wants is going to be the big thing. I mean, does he want to continue just making the big money and maybe working a little less, or does he really want the creative freedom because he has said that's very important to him and the money isn't, he is friends with the young bucks. This does seem like a good fit. It'll be interesting on Monday though, because if Matt Hardy doesn't come out like Monday or Tuesday and announce that he's making some indie appearances or mania weekend appearances, I think that might lead to believe that he's staying. Cause you would think once the contract is up and he has the go ahead Monday, if he has appearances lined up, he'd be announcing them. Does he have a kid? They have, they have uh, two kids. You know, there's a lot of people who make the, who do the math and go, I want to be home with my kid. This is a, this, wasn't this the whole thing with Kevin Nash? You know, I, I want to be home with my kid. I want to be a parent to my child. And, you know, working in Orlando at the, at, uh, at the Performance Center and doing an NXT gig for main roster pay certainly lends itself to being at home more. So I would not be surprised to see him make that choice. Although, on the other hand, while it would be more money, the AEW schedule is extremely limited. It's only Wednesday. So you fly in Wednesday morning wherever you are. You fly out the next day. He's only gone two days. A lot of time at home there as well. Obviously, there's positives to both deals, whatever he decides to take. And it's going to be interesting because, like I said, if he doesn't announce some appearances Monday, it might mean he's staying. But, uh, and maybe we find out Wednesday. I don't know. So wouldn't it be funny if uh, they reveal the exalt when he comes out in the hood, ominous music, uh, the lights are lowered, the tension is high, and the hood feels back and it's Vince McMahon and he goes, it was me, Austin, it was me the whole time. No, the biggest swerve is when they reveal it's Orange Cassidy Wednesday night. I hope. Pockets and all. Hands in there. That's right. Hands <laughs> in the pockets of his robe. So. <laughs> so the pay-per-view proper started off, got the national anthem, and then we got Jake Hagar defeating Dustin Rhodes 14 minutes and 50 seconds via submission. Now, let me say this first. (laughs) I would not have opened with this match. The crowd loves Dustin, but they didn't exactly deliver like a hot start to the pay-per-view here. The match was like solid, the pretty good, but I thought it really lacked overall intensity considering they were coming off the angle where Hagar broke Dustin's arm. The other thing is, I think it went way too long for its importance level on the card. Should have been 10 minutes max. And you really should have opened with Pack and Orange Cassidy or Sammy and Darby. I, they would have been clearly better options. So I agree with the time thing. This went about five minutes too long. Uh, also, I'm reminded of Steve Austin telling John Cena, can you make that, uh, that F- STF that you do a bit more snug for me? Boy, were there a lot of gaps in their wrestling. You notice that? Like, they either weren't laying it in or there would be these, you know, just really loose holds that they were doing. And, like, I didn't want to shit all over this match. I really didn't because I was I was having fun watching it. There were 
there were certain parts of it, like when Doltus kissed uh, Jake Hager's wife, I thought it was hilarious. And uh, I was laughing out loud at that. You know, going into the crowd immediately because this is a blood feud. And I, I love when he's like, like, ah, it's a blood feud. You broke my arm. And here we go. Start with a crisp tie up. Uh, you can't see it because this is audio, but I just rolled my eyes. So, you know, they, they fought like it was a blood feud. But on the other hand, it was very loose and very sloppy and it was too long. And so there was a germ of a good idea here, but not great execution. I agree. By the way, there's some uh, post-pay-per-view uh, news coming out of this show um, from PW Insider, by the way. I want to give credit. Uh, uh, in the main event, Moxley was bu- busted open legit when he hit the ring post in the main event. That was not a blade job. Uh, and for a little bit, he was actually seeing triple after he hit the ring post, so that's not good. Oof, uh, going man. forward, Dustin Rhodes and QT Marshall are going to be a regular tag team uh, being called the Natural Nightmares. Managed by Brandy Rhodes, so that's nothing wrong with that. That's a nice solid undercard tag team. I like that. And Colt Cabana is officially signed with AEW, as was speculated a few weeks back. He will be working as a wrestler, producer, and occasional announcer. Oh, good for him. So, And God bless Colt. He deserves a spot on national TV for everything he's done in wrestling. So. I agree. Next up was an announcement that I fucking cackled like a maniacal evil villain at. On March 25th, AEW will debut the Blood and Guts match, (laughs) which is War Games. Two rings, a giant cage, and the reason I'm laughing about this, because early on when Vince McMahon was asked about AEW, he was bitching, oh, the Blood and Guts promotion. I can't see TNT letting that blood and guts crap on their network. <laughs> TNT is about ready to let anything happen on that network since I think the best thing they've got going might be the last OG. Uh, you know, and AEW brings in sufficient enough ratings in 2020 with the long tail of options to watch television. Short of, short of killing a man... I'm sure TNT's been like, whatever you guys want to do, it's fine. Keep going. We're, we got you. I just laughed. Like, I just remember that call with Vince. Can't imagine TNT letting all that blood and guts on their network. No way. I, I think Vince McMahon has now famously misread the entire AEW situation. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> uh, so next up, we had uh, Darby Allen versus Sammy Guevara. This match started with a long brawl on the floor because Darby Allen was fucking pissed off that this dude jammed a skateboard into his throat and tried to kill him. Hit a big John Woo into the barricade. They brawled over the floor. Sammy Guevara took control, hit Darby with the skateboard, set up a table, and then hit a fucking beautiful looking 630 off the top through it, putting Darby through the table. And it was at this point that the official match started. (laughs) I actually really like that hot start, though, because kind of like what we were talking about, it that's what, like, Dustin and Hagar brawled in the crowd a little bit, but it never felt really hot and intense. This felt like these dudes hated each other. Yeah. So they ended up, it was a short match. Uh, Darby Allen defeats Sammy Guevara in around five minutes via pin. Overall, the whole package considered, I know the, the official match, technically short, I thought this overall package was really good. I thought both guys busted their asses. 
Darby overcame. He got his revenge. Both guys got the shine. Again, this was something they really should have opened with, I thought. Um, I really enjoyed this. I thought it was really good. And these guys are, they've both gotten over extremely well. They've both acclimated to TV well. And they're both going to be stars for this company. I love this match. Uh, I loved. I love the uh, intense uh, brawling in the crowd to start and the referee going, would you please get in the ring now, please? I'm like, no, we're going to keep trying to kill each other on the outside. And speaking of killing one another, um, that spot where Darby Allen suicide dive dove out of the ring, and I don't know what the intention was there, but the way he landed, and this is going to happen a few more times, especially in the next match, throughout the night where people are landing directly on their fucking heads. My God. I, there are times when I watch AEW where I actually like audibly scream out loud because I'm afraid the wrestler just killed themselves. It is unbelievable. Um, I never would have thought I would have liked a guy as, as small and thin as Darby Allen, but he has made a fan of me. His coffin drop off the top rope, as re- silly as I think it, it is, still looks pretty darn cool. And he like I look it looked like he do he jumped all the way across the ring to deliver it in the finish of this match. Uh, I love this. I think uh, Sandy Guevara is great with the inner circle, and I think he makes a great smarmy heel. Um, another guy who. Le- you know, in the in the shows like uh, Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fallen and all that, I wasn't really into, and he was just sort of nameless, faceless cruiserweight. But he has developed this great character on Dynamite, and these two, I hope this isn't. I hope this is the beginning of a long feud for them, and not the end, because they made magic tonight. Yeah, I, I love both guys a lot, and. Darby, for me, ever since he started, he's had, and like, I, I try not to compare it to especially star wrestlers, but for lack of a better comparison, Darby has this really kind of cool mix of Mikey Whiprick and Mick Foley. Because he's that perfect small underdog baby face that you always believe can overcome. But then, like, you see matches like the Jericho match and stuff like that to where he takes that insane beating as well. And it's just, he garners so much sympathy with that combination of the two. And I like Darby for a long time in Evolve. He really, he went from just a dude who could kind of barely wrestle to a guy that you thought was just going to do, I'm going to kill myself spots all the time. And then really started developing into a good wrestler. Like, I saw something on Twitter. Like, he busted out a Fujiwara armbar at one point. Someone goes, when did Darby learn a fucking armbar? And I'm like, well, like, four fucking years ago in Evolve, okay? (laughs) Don't be a shithead just because you think all he is is a coffin drop and riding a skateboard. No, and, like, as I've talked about this a lot, I don't think enough can be made about how well both of these guys have acclimated to TV. Because... Obviously, Darby worked a lot of Evolve, and that was on iPay-Per-View, and sure, I mean, that's that you have to work to the cameras and stuff. Sammy worked some iPay-Per-View. But, like, that's totally different when you have to get to, like, main TV. You have to hit time cues. You have to hit camera cues. And being able to not only still have good matches, but to add all that other stuff in, 
it's been really amazing to watch, and I fucking love seeing these two grow, so love it. Yeah. Would not be surprised in three to four years if these guys are top of the card main event to show at some point. Yeah, I, uh, I, I'm hoping for big things for both guys. Yeah, because like Sammy is so over. He's such a douchey perfect heel, and Darby's just over all the time. So, move on to our first championship match of the evening, Marcus. We have tag team champions. Hangman Adam Page and Kenny Omega facing the Young Bucks. Our champions retained at 30 minutes and 20 seconds via pin. Mark, what did you think of this one? So I'm of two minds. One, uh, I love the match, mostly. I was screaming at different parts because, again, lots of bumps on the old head. The uh, best melter ever. My, I... My family had been uh, out, and they came home at the end of Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara. So we were all kind of sitting around and uh, watching this match together. And my my wife gets a kick out of me when I get super excited about wrestling. On the rare occasion, it does happen. And I've I've come around on the Young Bucks because I used to hate them too. Um, but they, they've done such good work in AEW, especially with the Lucha Brothers, that I've really gotten into it. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, they're more than just super kicks. Cool. I can dig this. Um, I'm a big fan of Adam Page I, at All In. I was like, oh, that's like the one guy on the show I think is like WWE ready, or at the very least NXT ready. And uh, I, I like Kenny Omega for what he does. And I, so I watched this match, and I was super excited, and they and I thought they told a great story. On the other hand, this went, for me, about 10 minutes too long. They dropped so many of each, so many of them took dumps on their heads that should have ended the match and didn't. I was, like, screaming on Twitter, my God, this is like The Last Jedi and Return of the King combined. This could have ended 12 times already. Please end this fucking match before someone dies. Um, I, and, and that's been my common criticism of AEW. And look, if, if there's people listening to this going, but we love this sort of thing. Shut your face. Okay, whatever. In my opinion, this went too long. This needed editing. This needed a few less break your cranium open like an egg spots. Um, moving past that, there was even better stuff once the match ended. That interaction that they oh, had. We'll, we'll get to that. Hang on. Okay, I'll 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 put a pin in that one. Yeah. Um. There were, uh, like I said, so there were some great spots in this. Great storytelling. I just wish there had been someone to say no a few times and say, hey, maybe not 30 minutes. How about 25? How about 20? Um, maybe less um, less of what you're doing here and more of some of this other stuff and tighten this up a bit. I think there was a great idea that was pretty well executed. It just didn't stick the landing for me. All right, that's fair, man. Nothing wrong with that. You're making fair points, man. So, I mean, I'm not going to knock you on that, although I do kind of disagree because, I mean, I thought this was phenomenal. I love this. I, I know it's a long match. For me, it didn't feel long. 
I thought that they played really well and also expanded on the story going into this match. Thought there was a lot of good emotion there. I liked a lot of the stuff they did do it. How the Adam Page and Matt Jackson interactions, because they had kind of got personal with the interview stuff heading into this. You know, Matt called him a fucking jobber in ROH, which I fucking <laughs> died at. I just, I loved that. But just, I thought that they did a lot of work there. Also, with Kenny still trying to kind of play peacemaker um, and not wanting to kind of do certain things during the match. Thought the work was really top notch. I uh, thought some really amazing near falls, and really part of the thing that I thought was the best part of this match was when the Bucks came out, they did not get a great positive reaction. Fans were really kind of not happy to see them because, in a way, a lot of fans feel like they're the dicks in this feud because they love Adam Page. Real quick. My daughter's reaction to the Young Bucks uh, was hilarious. Now, I don't show my kids a lot of AEW for a variety of reasons, but tonight worked out where they sat and watched a fair amount of this pay-per-view with me. And so my daughter is not tremendous. She's nine years old, not tremendously familiar with the Young Bucks. And I was kind of educating her and my son about them. And she watched them wrestle for a little bit. And she goes, the Young Bucks wrestle like they're dancing. And I about died. Kid has horrible taste, Mark. <laughs> no, that's and you know there are people that still say that. There are people that say they never sell, and there are people that say that they don't ever tell a story. But I highly disagree there. But I thought them leaning into the heel role here was really good because it played into them being desperate to win the championships as well as their anger with Paige. So I mean, them doing that was absolutely the right call because. I've seen over the years that when a crowd turns, I mean, wrestlers just, they don't play into it. And sometimes you have to, you have to work to your audience that night. Mm -hmm. And on this night, the young bucks were not the over baby faces. The crowd was not with them. They were with cowboy shit and hangman page. No, you got to learn to play jazz when the music, when the music moves, you got to adjust. You don't just keep playing the same notes. Exactly. So for me, this was, very similar to the Young Bucks versus Golden Lovers match from a couple years ago. Um, and the one uh, New Japan US show. I really liked that. Um, and the other thing was, I also liked that they played up Kenny as kind of the potential weak link down to stretch. Because they played into him being injured following the Iron Man match, which was extremely smart. Um, for me, this was my favorite tag match of 2020. I, I fucking love this. Thought it was an excellent piece of business. And then the post-match, as you were bringing up earlier. Post-match, they were kind of trying to do the big elite reunion. And Kenny's okay with the Bucks. Hangman kind of wants no part of it. The Young Bucks leave. Paige leaves the ring. And he looks back and Kenny's still in the ring. And it's so subtle. He sits there and he looks and he kind of puts his hands on the top rope. And then he slowly starts to grab the top rope. And you're like, he's going to buckshot Larry at this motherfucker. I was shaking. And then Kenny turns around and he's just, he looks at Kenny and he pops in the ring and they have a little hug and they're okay for now. But that was a fucking excellent tease. Oh, it's so good. You know, there are such, as we were talking earlier, such rare times that the medium of professional wrestling really evokes a true non-trolly emotional reaction from at least me. I'm not going to speak for anyone else. You know, I'm so cynical about wrestling. It's hard to get a good reaction out of me that where I'm not being a clown. 
And that one did. Like I had my, I was like, grabbing my wife's leg. I was like, oh my god, he's gonna buckshot Larry and Omega. No, don't do it, Paige. And you know, and and you're right. They didn't oversell it. It was super subtle. He just shifted his hands to you know to do that pop over the rope. And I was waiting for it, and it didn't happen, and I was holding my breath. And then even when they hugged and they started walking up the ramp, and he turned, and I wasn't sure why he was turning, and I'm like, oh, no, he's going to crown him with the belt now. And he turned and got a beer. I'm like, all right. But ooh. And the best part is commentary did not overblow the tease. The best part was Tony was like, is he? Is he? And then JR was like, I think I saw it too, Tony. And that was it. Yeah. It was very, very lightly done. And that is, for me, the the best part of it. Yeah, it's, you talk, I've heard you say on your podcast a number of times how the WWE just tends to beat you over the head with things as if you are oblivious or a five-year-old. And it's nice that AEW and the commentary have enough faith in their audience to just kind of give you a bit of a wink and leave it alone. Let your imagination do its thing and fill in the blanks and let the story breathe. As, as a film guy, I really appreciate that. Yeah, and again, I, I, I like when they exactly, don't hit me over the head with it, man. Give us the tease, let it play out, and I want to see where it goes because the page thing has been... Anyway. I'm going to sneeze any minute now. I'm trying not to do it in the mic. but um, Yeah, but it's like something's going to happen. We all know something's going to happen. We just don't know when, and that is the absolute best part about it. Yes. You know, don't don't sit there and like, I think he was going to buckshot Larry and him, JR. You're right, Tony. God damn it. He's going to kill him. No, don't give me that. Just, I like Tony. Like, was, was Paige? And then he kind of stops, and JR's like, I saw it too. And that was it. That's all you need to do plant the seed and walk away man it's all you got to do and like Paige was so good Derek so it was it was so subtle and there was that little rumble in the crowd and then like you said when they went up the ramp I was still waiting for something and I'm like because they're taking a long time and yeah, like they get- stayed on it for a long time and that's kind of like mind fucking with the crowd on purpose though because mm-hmm. they're like we know you're expecting something and that's just that like goes back to the Cody MJF feud to when the inner circle's beating down Cody, and they beat down the Young Bucks, and MJF runs out to make the save. And everybody pops at first, and then they kind of get hushed until MJF gets in the ring, and then he makes the save, and then they pop again, because they're like, they're like, yes, MJF's here. Oh, wait, he's kind of an asshole, though. Uh, no, no, okay, he's not an asshole tonight. Yay! Yeah, so... But yeah, just uh, give me those little things. I love it. So I just, I, I loved everything about that. Great stuff. Best thing on the show for me. Um, next up was the AEW Women's Championship match, which I regret to inform you is not the best thing on the show. <laughs> um, first of all, let me get into this. Nyla Rose defeated Chris Statlander 1255 via pin. As I feared, the crowd was exhausted following that whole tag match. They were not into this. The work itself was rough. It lacked some intensity. There wasn't any real drama in a possible title change. And this is another example of um, like the opener where card layout can hurt a show. 
Extremely questionable and obviously a bad call to put this match here after that match because the crowd didn't care. They tried. I will say they worked hard. But unfortunately, I did not think they worked all that well together. I think the match went a little too long, especially considering Statlander was coming off having the flu this week. They were not put into a position to succeed, in my opinion. And I think that this match either should have been earlier or later in the show, and it most should have been like a five- or six-minute hard-hitting match to get in and out. Probably would have worked a lot better because... I just didn't feel they clicked all that well. There was a lot of rough stuff in this, and I thought this was, quite honestly, not just the worst thing on the show. I thought it was bad. This is depressing for me because I really wanted to love this match. I've liked Nyla Rose since I saw her on whatever the first AEW show that she showed up. Uh, I didn't love her gear, but um, I just I thought she, you know, I thought she looked great. Uh, I was hoping. That she was going to be the first AEW Women's Champion. And I don't want to go, we'll be here for another hour if I start telling you my frustrations with this women's division. So suffice to say that uh, that's not the direction they chose. But they're there now. And, I'm, and I couldn't be happier for her because I think she has a great look. Um, I think she's pretty good. And I was hoping for big things from her. And then you have Chris Statlander, who apparently... And I don't know if you heard this, Larry, or if it resonated with you, but it did with me. Her ship crashed, landed on Long Island. Instant fan, I became. <laughs> so, uh, for those that don't know, I'm originally from Long Island, New York. And I, I got a kick out of Chris Statlander the more I learned about her, because I know her before she showed up in AEW. I love that she's leaning into this I'm an alien from the Andromeda Galaxy bit. I, I, I had my daughter come and watch this and see what she thought of it. And I said, I I wanted to love it because it's the beast versus the alien. This should be magic. And while I don't listen to the podcast anymore, as Bruce Pritchard would, would say, and then the bell rang. And it was almost like they were trying to work, you know, like a, like a Braun Strowman, Brock Lesnar or Samoa Joe, like two we were, I was thinking about like Luke Harper. Just they, they were trying to be like two big men, and it didn't click, and it wasn't working. And I and I wanted more from Chris Statlander. I wanted her to be a little bit more bigger, broader. Um, and I don't mean physically. I mean with her gimmick, because um, I think Nyla Rose plays a good bully beast. But so yeah, you're. This was clunky as fuck, and slow. And plotting, and and it was like it reminded me of a Big Show match, which is not a positive, and it's depressing because I really wanted this to work, and and I don't and I don't want them to lose faith in Nyla Rose because she just got the damn title, and I see so much potential there, but it I could see where they would look at this and going, well, what about Plan C? Well, unfortunately, with Nyla. Uh... She is a very much a tale of two performers. I've seen all of her AEW stuff, and she either has really clunky, rough matches like this one, or she wrestles Rio and has really good matches. And there's kind of no real middle ground with her right now. Mm. And part of that is, is she just needs more work. 
I, I think yeah. there's definitely potential there for her to be a good a good beast character. And I mean, I really enjoyed the last Rio match. I thought it was one of the better, if not the best, women's matches in AEW. I thought they worked well together. I thought they played the formula really well. And Nyla really felt like she was in her role finally. Like it kind of, you know how like you see like they talk about sports athletes, like when it clicked for a pitcher, when he finally figured out all of his pitches and stuff like that. That match for me felt like everything clicked for her. And you know, then we the got two, tonight. Of the two little Japanese girls who... All right, that sounds really condescending. Of the two Japanese female wrestlers that have been a big part of AEW, the one that jumped out at me, and I, I was sad that went away for a while, and I'm happy is back, but I wish they would do more with her because I think she has more of a personality, is uh, Yuka Saka, Sakazaki and her ridiculous big genie pants that she wears. I thought she was great. I you know, The few times that I saw her like Fighter Fest and Fight for the Fall and whatever the hell else she was on, I was like, wow, the, her I can get into. I mean, she looks she looks tiny, but I'm fine with that. Um, I love Kari Sane for kind of the same reason, especially with the current evil, over-the-top, stereotypical Japanese villain g- uh, gimmick that she does. But, yeah, Riho always seemed like, I'm sure she's a fine enough wrestler, but she just seemed kind of bland to me. Yuka had the personality. Yeah. I understand that, and uh, Yuko and uh, I believe Riho worked a um, dark match before the pay per view tonight. Yes, sir. With uh, g- g- good old three times a charm with your evil heel promo, Brooke Baker and Penelope Ford. Yeah, so we'll see about that. But uh, yeah, I-, I like Yuka as well. But um, yeah, it's like Nala. For me, it felt like in that last Riho match, it felt like it really clicked for, her, and then then this match happened and. <laughs> I'm not blaming her for everything. Like the finish was really rough. I thought she was going to kill Chris Statlander. But again, I think booking a 12, nearly 13 minute, really physical match with someone coming off the flu and Statlander and someone who's been inconsistent in Nyla, not a smart idea. And again, I also think the match positioning was a big mistake. I, I agree. This probably needed to be earlier. They might have done a better job of almost swapping this with uh, doing your idea of starting off with Dar- Darby, Allen, and Sammy Guevara, then doing Nyla Rose, Chris Statlander, and putting Hagar versus Dustin Rose in between the Elite and MJF and Cody might have been a better idea. Yeah. So, uh, so then Cody arrived for his match, and we got a live performance of his theme from Downstate. And let me tell you, Ugh. I was not a fan some bands uh, are very good live. Downstate was not one of them. I did not like this at all. I love Cody's theme, but this uh, sounded pretty shady to me. I was going to say, like, I think Cody's theme, Cody's theme is great. Did these people not show up for soundcheck? They sucked. Well, it's not just <laughs> that. I mean, brother, I mean, I'm not expecting, like, fucking pitch perfect singing from, like, a group like Downstate. I'm not trying to be a dick. But... I mean, brother was super off key to start and just like, it didn't get any better. No, because like that opening theme of, of his music is so great and it sounds powerful and dudes just like not good. And I don't know who the hell he is and I don't really care, but all you need to know is it was not good. So on the one hand, he didn't do his cosplay get up this time, which I was happy about on the other can we just take a moment to discuss the neck tattoo? 
Yeah, Cody got a big-ass neck tattoo if you haven't seen it. And the funny thing is it's only the second worst tattoo of the week because if you haven't seen Jack Gallagher from 205 Live, yeah. I have not. What did you, what, what? Oh, I'm gonna, you're going to have himself. to look it up on Twitter, dude. My man came back to 205 Live with like a giant fucking chest tattoo and tats all over his arms. He looks like bargain basement Conor McGregor. I don't know, dude. It's it's not good. Can it's we, like he's having an early midlife crisis. As a man with four tattoos, can I please say to these people, just fucking stop. Yeah, unless you're on meth or going to prison, enough with the tattoos in places they shouldn't have tattoos. And like, listen, I get Cody because he got like the nightmare family signature or whatever the fuck it is on his on his body. But here's the problem. He got it on the side of his fucking neck. (laughs) It looked like a prison tattoo. That's why I made that joke. Again, I, I work with incarcerated folk. I've seen a lot of neck tattoos. I've seen better ones. That's awful looking. Yeah, not a not a good life choice there by the coaster. <laughs> the, the, you're the, the married. Thing... You're you're surrounded by people who like and, and want to help you. Who let this happen? Yeah, I mean the funny thing is it was only the second worst decision of the week behind downstate performance for him. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you poor bastard. So the neck tattoo and the answers weren't good, but. We got MJF versus Cody here, and MJF ended up defeating Cody 24-30 via pin, which saw uh, MJF get busted open. He uh, tried to destroy Cody's uh, foot, which he has does have a legit broken toe from the um, cage moonsault. So they did some good work there with that stuff. And um, basically this was uh, the big match for MJF, the, uh, the big uh, deal with Cody. And what did you think of this at the end of the day, Mark? Oh, I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, I I'm gonna go. I'm gonna talk about the match in just a second. But I to, Cody losing on the one hand, it does great things for MJF. It gives them a place to go with more chapters to work through, and I'm all fine with that. I actually wish they had not pulled the trigger on MJF's heel turn when they did and had drug it out a little bit longer. But that's besides the point. Um, I think my only like star, my only asterisk with this is Cody's lost a lot of matches, a lot of big time matches. And I just I don't want him to be so giving and and so magnanimous in putting other guys over that he loses the AEW crowd. You know what I mean? I think that's fair on one hand. But the other thing you have, I think you have to remember is, number one, this is the first match of the feud. Sure. Number that's number one. Number two, MJF desperately needed a win over a name. Okay, so yeah. him beating Cody makes sense. And the other thing is, Cody's over. He's one of the biggest baby faces in wrestling right now. And I know some people like to disagree with that, but it's a fact. And the thing is, he can't challenge for the world title. So he can afford a loss right now. And the other thing is, I think he'll rebound because I'm pretty sure he's going to be involved in the Blood and Guts match. Sure. So, I mean, I'm not necessarily worried about Cody right now. If he starts fucking dropping losses to, like, the Butcher, like, no no, <laughs> no offense to the Butcher and the Blade, I actually liked him a lot. But if he starts dropping, like, matches to the Butcher and Marco Stunt, we can have a little more of a deep conversation. MJF is a guy that they have signed long-term. They have long-term plans for him. They expect him to be a major face of the company. 
So I don't mind it. I get your point completely, though. I think it is something to watch. But again, he lost to Jericho. He lost to MJF. You know, again, he's not losing to Brandon Cutler or Peter Avalon. Yeah, and, and I and I totally get that, and that's why I said I I have some anxiety about this, but I'm also willing to be patient and see where this goes. I, I don't I don't hate that he lost. I'm just I'm I'm wanting him to succeed and I don't and this is a company that sometimes they when they should go right, they go hard left into a wall. So you know, just keeping that in the back of my mind. Things I liked about this match. Uh, I thought they work really well together. They are hand in glove. I thought they did a lot of great spots here. Um, <laughs> of course, it's a Cody match. My wife, my wife, noped out of this early. She's like, "Cody's wrestling next." I'm like, "Yeah." She's like, "I'm going to bed. This is going to be full of blood everywhere." And I'm like, "You're not wrong." And what did we get? You know, an MJF's face full of blood. Um, I love the fact that Brandy <laughs> tried a high cross body on Wardlow, and Wardlow didn't sell it. He just caught her and was like, Ugh, stop, go away with your brandy self. Um, and they worked that into a spot, which got Arnie kicked in the head and all that. I love the fact that MJF uh, won by cheating. And there was a lot of, you know, it wasn't overbooked. You know, it wasn't, you know, just a lot of fuckery. It was a classic. The heel went into the tights to grab the knucks or the ring or the, the roll of quarters or whatever it happened to be. In this case, it was a ring. And he decked the, the face with it, and the ref, of course, never saw it. I loved all of that. Um, I thought <clears throat> this, they, you know, Cody's matches are not flippity-doos and flying all over the place, and that's not MJF either. They worked a solid, well-told, full-of-psychology wrestling match and I was hooked from beginning to end. Yeah, I thought they had a good match. I thought it was slightly overbooked with some of the stuff on the outside. I have no problem with the finish. I like MJF beating them with the ring because the whole thing is Cody's an EVP and they introduced the ring and now Max won it and then he fucked him over with it again. So I, I did like that finish. I did like during the match that Cody uh, ended up whipping Max a couple times with the weight belt to get a little revenge from the uh, whipping. I thought they did some nice, uh, a lot of nice work together. Um, I think MJF did a lot of really great heel stuff at times. The finish, as you mentioned, it works because he stole it. He fucked Cody over again. Um, I think the thing was for me, it was, it was missing something. I I liked a lot of what they did, but it didn't feel as heated as I thought it would be. Kind of both in terms of the in-ring work. I mean, nothing was wrong with it, and there was some good intensity, but I kind of expected a lot of more, a lot more fire from Cody. And the crowd wasn't as into it as a lot of the Cody matches. I don't know if that's because they kind of weren't into MJF tonight or what it was, but um, it lacked a little something for me. Again, it was good. But um, it was kind of far from that breakthrough singles match I was really hoping MJF would have here. I swear before they watched, before they did this match, him and MJF and Cody watched a lot of Memphis and a lot of like dusty, early fucking Crockett era stuff. Because this felt very 80s Crockett, 
slash Memphis, especially with MJF not wanting to get in the ring and then run into the crowd. And I could hear like Jim Cornette in my in the back of my head when he threw the soda on the guy when, you know, Jim Cornette, Cornette laments, why don't people in the crowd want to stab the wrestlers anymore? And I'm watching him throw the coke on the guy and I'm like, oh, you're going to get murdered, sir. <laughs> um, you know, that, but that all worked for me. Like, because that's not something you see a lot. Um, I mean, people go into the crowd all the time, but like MJF was really taking a few risks, risks there. And I love the fact that like he did everything he could to not get in the ring to the point that he, I almost bought the fact that he wasn't going to get in the ring at all and that they were going to get by without actually doing a match this time and save it for like a later day down the line because he's that smarmy, shitty, cowardly heel. Um, obviously, they eventually got in the ring, but they had me going there for a bit. Yeah, again, I thought it was good and enjoyable. Like I said, for I don't know, I've loved a lot of Cody's AEW stuff. And like I said, it was just, I can't quite put my finger on what was missing, but for me, something was. <clears throat> and there's the sneeze. All right, good. But um, yeah, no, I, like I said, there's a lot to like about it. And I think this is a match where like mileage is going to vary for a lot of people. I think there are going to be people that are going to be absolutely in love with this. But I've also seen people that like did not like it at all. So really, yeah, and I I wouldn't go that far because again I thought it was good. I thought there was, was a lot the, of good stuff there. What what's the if you can kind of distill it down to one major complaint? What's the major complaint? I, I just saw a lot a lot of this. This wasn't any good. Cody sucks. MJF isn't actually good. And the, like, oh there, okay, there, there, there's no there's no deep dive in this bullshit, Mark. You know that. It's just random people throwing it out there, and it's like, yeah, what are you, what are you gonna do? But no, again, I like it. I just um, I was, like I said, I don't know if I maybe I had my hopes a little too high. I was, I was kind of really hoping that because I think MJF is really good. I've loved a lot of his heel stuff. I've watched like his whole M, um, MLW run. I thought he's grown really well, but he's a guy that I've been kind of waiting for to have that real breakout singles match. Because he has, like, all the basic heel tools in that box right now. But for me, and he, obviously, you could look at the history of wrestling. Not everybody has to be an absolute great worker. In terms of in the ring and um, executing moves and shit like that. Dusty drew a shit ton of money, and Dusty wasn't the greatest worker in the world. Hogan drew a fuck ton of money. He wasn't the greatest worker in the world. And I'm not saying that I need MJF to be a Kenny Omega clone or anything like that. I was just, like I said, I wanted a little more. And I don't know how else to put it. But no, I enjoyed it. thought it was good. Um, just a lot of entertaining stuff here. A lot, of, a lot of stuff to build off of, obviously. I was, you were talking about how you were almost half expecting them to take the count out. I was half expecting the bell to ring and him fucking kick Cody in the nuts and get DQ'd and leave. Yeah. Just to kind of fuck everybody, because he would have got booed out of the goddamn building. <laughs> so, But no, I enjoyed a lot about this, and I am uh, very curious to see where they go. Yes, sir. Because obviously it will continue. Next up, uh, what ended up being our co-main event of the evening, Pack facing off with Orange Cassidy set up on Dynamite last week. Pack ended up defeating Orange Cassidy 13 minutes via submission. First thing I want to say, Mark, this was fucking wildly entertaining. Yes, sir. It was different, and we talked. We kind of talked about this earlier. It was different than 
Anything else on this show? We got to see a new side of Orange Cassidy because he actually did fire up during this match at times. To quote Chuck Taylor, he's going to try. And he did. <laughs> is, this, is this the shtick he does on the, he, he was doing on the indies where he would do the shin kicks and the I'm on ether routine until a certain point in the match where he would flip a switch and turn into a wrestler? Yeah. Okay. So, but I thought we got to see a new side of Orange Cassidy, which is good. Because you, obviously, you have to grow that gimmick from the occasional spot to where he just kind of does the little shin kicks or he does a dive. And the other thing is, too, is I thought this was cool because we also kind of got to see another side of Pac because he played into it a little bit at the beginning. And then, like, seeing his frustrations late in the match when he kept trying to go up top and Orange Cassidy kept rolling out of the ring. The best (laughs) spot of that was... Orange Cassidy keeps rolling away from him. He throws him back in, and then he'd roll out the other side. So Pac rolls him back in, and then he jogs around to the other side of the ring, and he stops Orange Cassidy, and Orange Cassidy just gets the biggest smile on his face. (laughs) And then Pac is just like an incredulous bastard. So he wants to kill this man, which was great. And again, I thought this was wildly entertaining. I really enjoyed it. Obviously, the right man won, especially because... Pack was coming off the Iron Man uh, match loss to Kenny Omega. Uh, down the stretch at the end, the uh, Lucha Bros came out and attacked the best friends. They brought to the back. So we're going to probably start a program with them. And, um, you know, I mean, I thought I, I thought it was really good. I really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, you set up another program and you kind of expand on the characters of Orange Cassidy and Pack in the process. I found this match highly entertaining. Uh, I like what you said about... You know, Pac was still a villainous heel, but he also leaned into what is obviously an overly gimmicky kind of match. Um, <laughs> look, this AEW appeals to uh, you know college age, mostly male wrestling fans who appreciate ironic wrestling and ironic gimmicks. Um, the fact that they were staring at each other doing the shin kicks and almost immediately the crowd's chanting fight forever. And this is awesome. Tongue firmly planted in cheek. I, 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 people listening to this who haven't heard me before, have obviously heard me make a lot of jokes tonight. I get it, man. Uh, I am from the Zucker brothers school of comedy. I enjoy a good parody. This was great. I, this was not supposed to be. Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle, WrestleMania 17. This was supposed to be, you know, fun time. You know, this, this, this is dancing bears and dogs and tutus. That's what this match was. And I thought both guys played their parts well. Um, yes, we got to see what Orange Cassidy was doing on the, as you said, on the indie circuit. Um, we got to see a different side of Pac, you know, where Pac wasn't just the growling, snarling, uh, angry heel. He had he was clearly having some fun in there, even though he was doing it with a sour face. You needed something to break up the monotony. I don't know if monotony is the right word, but you don't want you as we say on the Metal Hammer of Doom, you don't want your wrestling to be samey. Where every and this was my big complaint over last year's summer shows where it was 97 30-minute matches where everybody is bumping all over the fucking ring and outside of it. So, you know, you had your blood feud with MJF and Cody. You had your girls. You had your 
over-the-top 30-minute tag team match. And now you have something utterly, you know, and as we say in Monty Python, and now for something completely different, pack Orange Cassidy. So I appreciated it for what it was. Exactly. And don't get me wrong, too. The other thing is, I know there are a lot of people that fucking hate Orange Cassidy. They either don't get it or it's just not their taste. And I, that's fine. You, again, if you don't like it, don't watch it. But there's one thing, Mark, that I think we'll agree on and people can't deny. The dude is fucking over. Yes, sir. Okay? And the thing is, you, you kind of made the uh, tongue-in-cheek reference. But that's the thing. When you have a gimmick like that, the guy playing the gimmick has to lean into it a thousand percent. He has to be all in on it. And when he's all in on it, then the crowd is in on it. And when everybody's in on the joke, so to speak, it works. It's like in Chikara when they would um, occasionally bust out the slow motion wrestling spot. And they would do the slow motion wrestling and the crowd would go, This is... Uh, some along with it instead of doing a regular chant. And then when it would speed up, they would go back to normal. The thing is, you, you kind of have to be in on it. And again, if you don't like it, that's cool because we talked about this before. It's an important thing. Not everything is going to appeal to everybody. AEW may not be for you. You may fucking loathe Orange Cassidy, but you may love Pac. You know, and again, like I said, there are people that fucking absolutely think Joey Ryan is a fucking genius because he's a famous dick wrestler. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that. Love what you love. But the thing is, I mean, Orange Cassidy's fucking over. This crowd love this. Pack is great. And like I said, I liked seeing different sides of both guys. And I think that was the real strength. And as you you mentioned, too, the, the card had a great variety of stuff. The, the Dark Order um, SCU match was a really fun, competitive match that also had a big angle element to it. Jake Hagar and Dustin Rhodes was a grudge match following the broken arm. Darby Allen and Sammy Guevara was also a grudge match, but it was worked in a completely different style, obviously, than Dustin and Jake Hagar. Um, the tag team title match was just an absolutely fucking, like, it, they were trying to tell the epic, and whether you liked it to that degree or not is obviously debatable. Because, like, for example, Mark didn't like it as much as I did. He really enjoyed it, but he thought it could have been a little shorter, to whereas I extremely, like, loved it to the 10th degree. But that's that was completely different than any other thing that preceded that. The women's match also tried to be different. Unfortunately, different was also bad in this case. And then, <laughs> as you said, MJF and Cody was just the, the old Crockett-era territory blood feud. And then Pac and Orange Cassidy is kind of a The mix. Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah, it's it's a Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's a mix of a comedy match. It's a real match at times. It's this different, but it's it's a variety. And, you know, that's that's great. And that's why I think this card had a big success factor. I, I brought that up, and I don't know if everyone's going to get the reference. I, I, I may be dating myself here. Do you ever do that? Do you ever go to, like, the midnight showing of the Rocky Horror Picture Show and do the singing and the dancing and the throwing of the toilet paper? Of course I did, Mark. I was a music manager. Yes, sir. Uh, as did I. And, it was, you know, big thing on Long Island where I grew up. Clearly it was a big thing where you lived. Um, that's Sometimes that's, that's a wrestling show. It's a bunch of people who are in on, who are in on the gag, doing kind of, you know, do, participating in the activity. And so I've referenced them a few times. I don't need to do it, you know, an 88th time. But for the folks that are going to look at this and going – how the fuck do you take wrestling seriously when you have a guy doing 
clearly a, a, a an act. You do it, and it works because the crowd's in on it. And for the 13 utterly inoffensive minutes this took up in a three-plus-hour broadcast, it's fine to have some fun. It really is. It's fun to have an audience participation segment, and then we get on with you know the meat of the show, John Moxley and Chris Jericho. And to, to, to think that like every this isn't the UFC. Not every, not every fight has to be, you know, utterly or blood sport, if you want to go in another direction with this. This isn't supposed to be worked shoots. I love the variety aspect of wrestling. So if you give me one segment in a show like this where we can kind of turn our brain off for a second and have fun and participate and yell things like this is awesome when they're 30 seconds into it, take, take a Xanax. You'll be okay. Yeah, I, I agree, man. There's nothing wrong with fun. I mean, who doesn't like to have fun? Communists, that's who. But so. <laughs> oh, cry! I fucking lost my shit the other day. We're sitting at the table, and um, I forget what the hell I was. I was making Alex something to eat. Alex is my eight year old, and um, oh, cry! I wish I could remember what I was cooking. Uh, let's just say it's pizza. It probably wasn't, but I was cooking something she really likes. And I was like, Alex, we're having pizza. And she's like, all right. And I'm like, who doesn't love pizza, Alex? And she goes, communists. And I was like, Shit. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, like she's been hanging around dad too much, but that's all right. Well done, sir. <laughs> she watched us. Uh, she was homesick. Unfortunately on Friday, she was watching over my shoulder as I was reviewing main event. And uh, uh, she was sleeping through part of it, and then she woke up for Riddick Moss and Cedric Alexander. And uh, so she's sitting there and kind of watching over my shoulders. I'm reviewing, and she really liked Cedric Alexander. Was having a blast, and then he lost. And she's like, why'd the guy that was really good and fun lose? I was like, well, she's like, oh, God, wasn't any good. (laughs) And then she goes, going back to bed. (laughs) <laughs> like all right, <laughs> like me too. But I yeah. was, I you know, with my my son who thinks Joey Ryan is hysterical, and I uh, I, I don't know if you, if you saw this when I posted it way back when, but without having pre watched it and not knowing what it was, I was I yelled out apropos of nothing that was going on at the time. I just happened to, it just happened to pop up on my fight app, the original the first Joey Ryan's penis party, and because I'm a bit of a card. I yelled this out in the middle of the house. I'm like, oh, my God, Melissa, Joey Ryan's penis party is on the fight app. And my son running in from the rooms like Joey Ryan's what, what, what now? So I had to introduce him to the world of Joey Ryan. I've showed him clips on YouTube. He thinks Joey Ryan's dick flip is the funniest thing he's ever seen. Um, so not knowing what what this particular show was uh, was all about, he insisted we watch it. And I was like, what the hell? How bad could this be? It's wrestling. Then I saw that six-person main event and was like, well, this was a poor parenting decision. So uh, they announced the second one, and I'm going to watch it before I show it to him, if I show it to him at all, because i got to make sure this is appropriate for a six-year-old, which it probably won't be. But um, I, was, I just thought that was hilarious that... Of of all the things, of all the wrestling I've shown my son and seeing, you know, what he keys into and what he doesn't, you know, death matches and Joey Ryan's and Joey Ryan's dick flip. Love my kid. 
Some questionable choices going on there, Mark Odala. <laughs> That's all right. No, I, I, I say that in jest, man. I mean, God, Christ. No, I... I'm the dude that would drive four hours to take Hannah to Chikara shows and shit, man. It was just, it, it's, it's fun. You know, you you never know what they're going to key into. There's like there's stuff that I've shown them, and oh, they, I they brought that up because I figured he would have a. Um, I thought he would key into Orange Cassidy and just think he's the funniest thing ever. And I so we, I made him watch the match. I him turn off your switch and you got to watch this match with me. So he's watched. He watched all of Pack versus Orange Cassidy, and I was like, all right. So what did you think? He was like. Orange Cassidy is the worst wrestler I have ever seen, and I'm glad he was beat by Pac. And I blinked twice at him, and I was like, you and Jim Cornette should host your own podcast. Disown that child, Mark, immediately. (laughs) No, but... So, uh, yeah, but no, again, there's nothing wrong with some fun. We go on to the main event of the evening, the champion Chris Jericho defending the AEW Championship against Jon Moxley. Walked in from the motherfucking street, John Moxley in the house. Yes, and not only did John Moxley enter from the streets of Chicago because he was ready to fuck another man up, Chris Jericho had a choir, the Inner Circle <laughs> Choir, singing Judas for him. Oh my god! <laughs> Speaking of the Rocky Horror Picture Show and irony wrestling, this was brilliant. Just everything about. How I was in love with this entire opening segment between him walking in like a badass from the street, like he just like they'd woke him up in an alley, gave gave him meth, and he was like, I'm ready to go. And then flip on that, and you see this ridiculous choir singing one of Chris Jericho's songs. Oh my god, Larry, I haven't enjoyed wrestling like this in a long time. I know. So twenty-four minutes and twenty-five seconds is the match time. This match was tons of heated brawling, Moxley getting busted open, Jericho trying to take out his good eye, the inner circle constantly trying to save their champion, failing, getting kicked out by the referee, and then down the stretch as Jericho is trying to pummel this eye of Moxley. He counters the Judas effect and he hits a Death Rider. And then John Moxley... Breaks the third wall and he looks at the screen like he's looking into your soul. <laughs> and he pops open the eye patch and takes it off. Hallelujah, he's healed! <laughs> he was fucking Chris Jericho the whole time, hit another Death Rider, pinned Jericho, and won the championship. And Mark, first of all, I want to say I love this. I thought it was a great main event thought the match was really entertaining. I thought they told a good story built around the eye. It had a satisfying finish and climax. And everybody needs to remember, John Moxley not only sold this injury on TV, he wore that fucking eye patch for a week on the Jericho cruise. He wore it to Japan on airplanes. He worked in Japan with it. He sold the shit out of that quote-unquote, eye injury. And I do air quotes that nobody can see. And in the end of the day, he was the smart baby face. He outsmarted the dastardly heel again. He overcame the odds. We got a new champion. And for me, an overall satisfying end to this show. I loved it. I I really enjoyed the match. Uh, John Mox is probably my favorite wrestler right now. 
I will I will watch. I can't if assuming he doesn't get another guy like burst or sack injury or fucking hepatitis or whatever the hell he got the last time. He's supposed to be on the next blood sport show, WrestleMania weekend. Uh, anytime he's on New Japan, I will be making sure to watch that show. I just love John Moxley right now. I couldn't be happier for him. You know, I you know he left and he said, "I have all the money, and I have and but what I wanted was freedom, and I'm happy for him. And he's doing what he enjoys in all of these different avenues, not the least of which is AEW, and." That that joy is infectious. His happiness comes through the screen. And whether he won or lost tonight, watching him in Jericho, and we, we started, we, we were talking about this earlier, have that creative freedom to do what they want and have fun out there and, you know, and to feel young again. I just thought it was great. And someone might want to might be wondering, well, what did you think of the wrestling, you bloviating person, you? Uh, <laughs> look, Moxley and Jericho are, you know, veteran professional professionals here. I would be hard pressed to think that, that they would have a difficult time putting on a good wrestling match. I thought this was great. I thought this was hard hitting. I thought they built uh, on the feud really well. Uh, the stuff you still were talking about with him breaking the fourth wall and pulling the eye patch off. Oh, uh, my goodness. Pro wrestling at its finest. Uh, the referee, uh, Aubrey Edwards, throwing out. Oh, she does that, like, jig where she spun around and threw out the fucking inner circle. I was dying. I was like, wow, that was animated. She's great. Uh, Sammy Guevara running in, hitting John Moxley with the title, thinking he's dead. All of that just works so well for me. The brawling in the crowd. John, it was it was great. I am I don't often come away from an AEW pay-per-view thinking, gosh, what's going to happen next? I'm really excited to watch Dynamite. Um, but I am. I, I walked away from this going, can't wait for Wednesday. Want to see where I want to see if they're going to keep going with Moxley and Jericho or maybe switch trains and it'll be MGF and Moxley going forward for a little bit there. I don't know. I don't know where they're going, but I'm really excited for it. And this match is a large reason why. And we, we, again, we talked about the post-match pro. I mean, Moxley is just, this man is ecstatic, okay? And the funny thing is, when he left WWE, there were people in WWE that said, well, that motherfucker's not going to be happy wherever he goes. He's a miserable son of a bitch and nobody really liked him. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's given these interviews and stuff, and he's the happiest motherfucker in the world. He's working one day a week most weeks. He goes to Japan when he wants to. Fucking took uh, Renee to Wrestle Kingdom with him. They had a little fun trip over there. This motherfucker's living the life. He has a hot wife. He's working where he wants, when he wants. He's making good money. And like he just he seems to be in love with fucking life again. And he's he, like a he's like a stand-up comedian or a musician who's like you know, who they've got something they want to work out on stage. And so they show up to a little club. Like, I think like Patton Oswalt talked about, you know, like you know, cultural moments in Washington, D.C. And, you know, like some, and I can't remember who he was citing, but like some famous musician just jumped up on a stage in some random bar somewhere. That's John Moxley right now. But you juxtapose John Moxley now against the miserableness of Dean Ambrose in his last year with WWE. <laughs> you you could not there were some people that you could probably not convince they're the same person. 
He's working at a different level. He's re-energized. His promos are fun. He's happy. And again, he sits there and he he gives this big promo afterward. I love this shit. It's been a hell of a year for me. This moment belongs to all you guys because you drive the company. A year ago, AEW talked about bringing pro wrestling back and we did it. He thanked the fans again. Said he thanked everybody that had been with him the whole time. The AEW family. Said it's beer clock. They tried to start playing his music to play him off like it was the Oscars. And he was like, <laughs> what the fuck is this? And they stopped. So he was like, I'll face anybody. But now it's time to knock back some whiskey. This was going on for a long time. He started leaving through the crowd. And much like the Hangman Page Kenny Omega thing, you cannot trust when they drop the lower third. Like on an NXT show when Chiampa attacked Gargano back in the day. You cannot trust the lower third. I kept <laughs> waiting for somebody to fucking like appear and kick his ass down the steps. But it was just John Moxley won the title. He was a happy motherfucker. He's going to go home and get lit and have a wonderful night with Renee. And good for him. Happy motherfucker. The crowd's happy. Good and satisfying conclusion to the show, Mark. And it's just, it's a wonderful thing to see. Quick question. Do you think Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch were watching the show and when it was over, destroyed their living room? Maybe Seth. I mean, Becky's probably fucking happy for him. Seth is the whiny <laughs> bitch. Becky, Becky's looking at Seth, who's kicking the cat and smashing the coffee table, going, calm down over there. Seth's the one who fucking was all like, oh, you know, Dean went to, he, he's still calling him Dean. Yeah, he's like, Dean's going to AEW and they're trying to take uh, food off our table and all this shit. And it's like, fuck you. He wasn't being used. He wanted on. He was miserable. Here's the thing. How many times do we hear about somebody being unhappy? Dolph Ziggler has been bitching about being unhappy for six years and leaving when his contract's up. You know why I don't feel bad for Dolph Ziggler? Because he's a fucking stupid idiot that keeps taking the money, but yet he's going to complain about being unhappy all the time. I'm all for people taking bills off Vince's money tree. I hope more do it. I hope more figure out the game, and that is... To do little work for a lot of pay in WWE until you can until you too can be John Moxley and don't have to work for anyone anymore. You can do whatever it is you want. I, I, I really do. I hope people figure out that's the game. But if you are going to take the money off the money tree in the WWE and you are going to stick it out, you're you're right, Larry. Don't then go on Twitter or whatever the hell else you're going and bitch and complain about what a stifling environment the WWE is. That's the Faustian bargain. You want to take the money? Shut your fucking mouth and do your job. Yeah, you can't bitch about not liking Chinese food and then go to a fucking Chinese buffet every day. <laughs> this is the worst Chinese food I've ever had, and I'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, I'll be back tomorrow. Thank you very much. <laughs> but seriously, it's like, and don't, don't get me wrong, because I've said this all the time about various people. I have no problem if you're just in it for the money. That's okay. I don't yeah. mind that. I mean, I also, I mean, because here's the thing. I don't have to love and respect it. I can love and respect people like Cody and these guys who are in it for the love and they want to build this company. They also want money, don't get me wrong, but there's also more to it for them. But here's the thing, again, if you're Dolph and you're bitching for six years, don't expect me to sympathize with you because you're getting yeah. paid a fuckload more money than I am. Okay, or on the just, other side of that, if you're Seth Rollins, why don't you focus on doing your job really well? And quit complaining about everybody else. 
Well, and here's the thing, because granted, I know he was probably sick of being asked about John Moxley in every fucking interview after he left and went to AEW. I get that. But here's the thing. I listened to you for five fucking years talk about how Roman and Dean are your brothers. Your brother decided he didn't want to be in that company anymore. Why couldn't you just go, listen, I hate that he left. We used to ride on the road together. He was like my brother to me. I wish him the best. You know, we're the biggest company in the world, and it's not going to be easy for him. Something like that. Right. That's being all adult. you have to do. Yeah, exactly. Be an adult. Because, again, I don't mind Seth being the company man because that's his fucking job. He's a top guy. He's looked at to be a company man. But don't whine to me that Dean's going to take dinner off my table. Fuck yeah. you. There's a big space in between being an, appro- an appropriate ambassador for your company and shitting on something else in somebody else's company. There's a big space in the middle there to work in. Well, like, here's, here's an example, obviously, on a much smaller scale. You know, Jeremy Lambert left the show here when we were doing. Jeremy had a lot of work, and he was not having enough time to spend with his wife. He's like, hey, Larry, I got to stop doing the podcast. Okay, kind of rocked me. I needed a couple hours to figure things out. Talk to him like, dude, I understand. Wish you the best. And then people always hit me up. Dude, I miss Jeremy. Oh, I fucking miss Jeremy, too. I love talking to him a couple times a week. We still yes, one guy has left the same. One guy left that same comment on like nine of your podcasts. Yeah, and it's just like I fucking miss Jeremy too. But I mean, what am I gonna? How am I gonna look at a dude and say uh, I don't care if you want to spend time with your wife instead of talking about <laughs> you know men grappling in their underwear? Fuck it. I mean, he. There's nothing wrong with that. I am. Ha- Jeremy is happy. He has yep. free time for his wife. He can do a little extra work that doesn't get into his time with his wife. He can make some more money. He's happy. I fucking miss him to death. But the good news is I was able to figure things out. I get to talk to Steve every Wednesday and other days. I'm getting to talk to you. I've been able to talk to a Cubs fan about Lucha. I've been able to talk to Ian in the UK. I'm making it work. Again, it sucks because Jeremy is one of my really good friends. And he's also somebody that's it's not like an online friend. We've met in real life. We've hung out. We've gone to NXT shows. We went to a Bellator show and covered it for the site. The best part about that story is it was fucking Valentine's Day. Aw. Valentine's Day for a Bellator show, which the fucking (laughs) chick at Bellator fucking ribbed us about so bad because we're from the same website. But the good news is that the chick at Buffalo Wild Wings was sweet and gave us the Valentine's Day special. Well, that's lovely. Not not going to complain. But... (laughs) But no, I fucking missed the shit out of Jeremy. But I mean, I, I'm not going to sit there and cry about it and fucking be an adult, right. like you said. But yeah, man, I just, I don't know. A little tangent there. Overall, Mark, AEW Revolution 2020, what did you think of this show? Well, after all it's said and done, if I think back on it with the good, the bad, and the ugly, I'm going to go ahead and give this a solid B. wasn't perfect. There were things it could have improved on. But overall, uh, better than average. I really enjoyed a lot of it. Some of it... Um, I wish could have been better, but I'll tell you, starting uh, from the very beginning with their shows all the way till now, just the pay-per-views I'm talking about, they have made such strides, such major improvements. A lot of the things I complained about with Double or Nothing, Fighter Fest, and Fight for the Fallen, they've largely improved or completely fixed. And so, yay, AEW. And I will continue to watch Wednesdays, either live or DVR'd, 
and I will continue to throw money into this product because they're not going out of their way to piss me off. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, say no more. Fair enough. I thought overall AEW Revolution 2020, a uh, really good show, fun pay-per-view. Uh, I love the tag title match. I thought it was outstanding. I thought the main event was great. We got the big title change. They continued some undercard programs. Uh, I thought the show had an absolutely tremendous atmosphere. We got some of the young stars some time to shine on this show. And again, like I said before, again, th- this is far from a perfect show. I think there were some issues with the card layout, which Mark and I talked about here. Some highly questionable choices there. Specifically, the opener and the positioning of the women's title match. Uh, overall, though, I did find it an enjoyable night. And uh, as you kind of brought up, Mark, I'm really interested to see where people like Jericho, the Bucks, and Moxley specifically go from here. Because Jericho loses the title, Moxley wins the title, but there's nobody right technically that you would think is the immediate title challenger you know what i mean and then the young bucks did not win the tag titles again and they also they didn't turn heel but they highly played into it with the crowd what is that going to be like going forward with the elite so i like coming out of this show that we have questions we have there's probably going to be some fallout from various things on Wednesday night. We also have the debut of Lance Archer Wednesday night. And we may even have the Exalted One debuting. Who knows? Um, so definitely some very interesting stuff coming out of the show. Really enjoyed it overall. And, um, you know, with the buy-in show, the, the show was about 3 hours and 45 minutes. So I'm glad that they did not bust over 4 hours closer to 5 like what other pay-per-views did previously, which I did not like. The other thing I do want to compliment is the fact that they have done a really good job of, um, from the early shows, getting rid of all the three- and four-way matches. Yes. Because I, I, I understood the, the early on. I understood why they did it early on, because they weren't on TV yet, and they were hoping to get people to watch and introduce some talent before they went to TV. I understood the logic behind it. But it also kind of bogs down a card and it gives you that everybody gets a spot bullshit when not everybody needs a spot on the show. Jurassic Express did not have a match. Lucha Bros didn't have a match. Best Friends didn't have a match. Uh, Santana and Ortiz didn't have a match. Not everybody gets to be on pay-per-view. And I think that it's a good thing that they got away from that because I believe that when you book for pay-per-views to not only mean something and be important... And that not everybody gets on it that you keep your roster hungry. So. 100% agree with you. So. But uh, Marcus, I do want to thank you for your time, my friend. Uh, Get your plugs out of the way. I did not forget. (laughs) Thanks, Larry. Um, You can check out the Rattleton Broadcasting Network. Fully part now of the W2M Network. Uh, We are... The website is w2mnet.com. On your podcast device, whether it's you know it's tablet, phone, whatever, whatever app you're using to listen to podcasts, just put in w2m. You will find all of our shows, all the Rattle Legend broadcasting shows, plus the kickoff, that wrestling show, video games to the mats, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We hope you'll uh, if you uh, enjoyed me or hated me, I'll go either way. Uh, you want to listen to what other more rambling things and references I, I make or stories about my kids. You can, that's, uh, that's the place to find us. We podcast pretty much almost every day. 
Uh, most recent shows were Lock and Key. We did the comic book, The First Trade, uh, Robert Winfrey and I of 401mania.com. Uh, we reviewed the Lock and Key first season on Netflix. Uh, Jesse Starcher and I reviewed the new Demons and Wizards. Alexis Haina of Honeysuckle Rose Creations and I reviewed the new Green Eggs and Ham. And Larry, for your children, I read aloud the Green Eggs and Ham book. That's on there as well, so you can play that uh, for all the children. And uh, as a bedtime story, Mark reads to your children. I am here for the children and the people. Uh, so we uh, we talked about the show, and I read the book, and we talked about the book for a little bit. Um, we got uh, boxing coverage. We got the De- Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury uh, watch-along that's posted up there. Next week, we've got some shows dedicated to October Faction, The First Trade, first season on netflix we'll be reviewing the new five finger death punch and uh the us movie folks will be reviewing the new invisible man movie and then on saturday uh, on saturday i will be distracting robert winfrey from his coverage duty so that we can do a watch along for israel adesanya versus soldier of god yol romero in, in the ufc so that's all there and i want to thank larry for having me on this was a lot of fun can't wait to come back by the way, what was up with your man Deontay Wilder with his fucking costume excuse, man? What kind of bullshit was that? <laughs> my costume oh. was too heavy. My legs got tired. You know you know why um, you might not get tired in the future? Don't get punched in the fucking face a bunch of times. Yeah, that that's a guy who does not want to admit that he got beat to shit by Tyson Fury. He got fucking schooled. So. <laughs> yeah, not a good look, Deontay. Stop talking in public. <laughs> All right, so yeah, I want to thank Mark. That's going to wrap up episode 95 of the 411 on Wrestling Podcast. You can follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, YouTube, the 411mania.com website, any major podcasting platform. Please make sure to subscribe to our show. Share us around on social media. Give us a thumbs up on youtube and make sure to subscribe there as well because we would greatly appreciate that again thank you guys for an absolutely great february download you guys are awesome we greatly appreciate you and steve and i will be back early thursday morning reviewing the wednesday night wars